All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? What's up, everyone? DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. Here with you with the Hordes of Chaos, episode 122 on the Metal Tavern Radio podcast. It's the weekend. Mm-hmm. Not quite. We haven't got to Saturday yet. We're finally doing something on Friday. I know. We used to do it on Friday all the time when I had my other job because I would get out early on Fridays. Yeah. Uh, but it's nice doing it on Fridays because there's nothing else to do. Plus, Joe Bob is done for the season, mm-hmm. so don't have to worry about all that. You don't have to worry about missing Joe Bob. A lot of uh, good music coming up your way in this episode. Brand new stuff from Machine Head, Fear Factory. Uh, what else we got here? Godhead Machinery, Fracture, Necronomicon. The Necronomicon. Steel Bearing Hand, and I got some classic stuff in there as well from Satis. Uh, Siren, there'll actually be a band we'll be talking about. Uh, Rock Block, a lot of classic stuff in there. Sabotage, Malice, new stuff from The Rumors. Edge of Paradise and Chris Rolling Squad. And, of course, NECA's Pick of the Week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get to my retro DVD movie review for our movie we watched last night. I was kind of surprised you hadn't seen that. Or at least I feel like I, I, I have maybe seen it once, but I, di- I didn't really remember everything right. and then i watched it and i'm like this is really great a <laughs> couple of uh documentaries that we're going to talk about uh one was pretty interesting about the boondock saints the other one's about the band siren and of course we're going to talk about remakes why some work and why some don't and why some um you don't even realize are remakes right and then like i was looking at your list uh one caught my eye on that i have to kind of talk to you about um but we'll get to that when we get to that all right let's get our first block going here uh classic stuff from a band called hypnosia this is circle of flesh
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and is highly qualified mechanics who do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find in other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you All right. All right. All right. So we're going to get into our first discussion here about a documentary called Overnight. And it's kind of crazy because, like, I'd never, it's it's old. It's from 2003, and I had never heard of it before. I think you just kind of found it on Tubi. Yep, yep. Good old Tubi. Good if, old if you don't, Tubi. If you don't have Tubi, the app, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> I mean... Literally, it's free. Uh, you do have to deal with ads, but there's all kinds of interesting things on there. And yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said, there's a movie that we will probably watch and review for our next podcast, but uh, it's on there, and, you know, it's cool. I mean, you got ads, but it's not a big deal. They're mm. not very long, but uh, a lot of interesting stuff. We've caught so many interesting stuff on there, both movies and docs, so, like, it's well worth it. And this is one of those ones that, you know, neither one of us is really aware of. Uh, apparently there was a bouncer uh, for a bar in, was it Boston? He was actually, Troy Duffy was working in L.A. at the time, I believe. But he's from Boston. Yeah, so he is uh, a guy, just a regular Joe. He wrote a script and got the interest from... Uh, Hollywood and namely Harvey Weinstein. Uh, if you don't know who he is, you might want to research that because <laughs> he's been in the news a lot the last few years. And but he like back when uh, the Boondock Saints were made in '97, he was like the king of Hollywood. Oh yeah, like what yeah. he said goes. Yeah, he had a lot of push, so it was a big deal. And but we dealt with this guy named Troy Duffy, and he's the one that writes the script and. You know, as you're watching this documentary, like, you know, you're kind of, like, sitting and saying to yourself, like, who the fuck would tolerate this dude? <laughs> like, when I say he's very arrogant and brash, it's it's really kind of an understatement. Like, it just, it kind of blows your mind. So, this is, the, let's set it up for him. Right. Troy is working at, um, a bar, and I, Harvey Weinstein, apparently, goes into the bar, and... He finds out that, um, finds out about this script, and apparently he pays Troy $300,000, and the William Morris Agency, who's a big, you know, agency in Hollywood, takes on Duffy as a client, and then Weinstein also has given Troy the okay to direct a 15 million dollar film so he's got a 15 million dollar budget and he weinstein says he's going to buy oh buy jay sloan's it's a bar where duffy was working and hire duffy to run it yeah and the, he's also in a band 
called The Brood and agrees to give a recording contract from Maverick Records to The Brood and do the soundtrack for the film. Yeah, it should be noted that, uh, as Nika pointed out, they were in L.A., so... The bar they're at, like, not only with people like Weinstein, but there's a lot of actors. Uh, Jake Busey, uh, Mark Wahlberg, we see them in this doc because they were actually friendly with Troy Duffy at the time. Um, so apparently a lot of the L.A. actors and directors will visit this bar for whatever reason. Um, so Troy obviously gets signed up to do a movie. And, I don't know, along the way... Troy is balancing between wanting to do the movie plus he wants his band to do the entire soundtrack. So, really, I haven't, I don't think either one of us sat and really listened to like an entire song that he was creating. They have little bits in the, in the, in the movie we were watching about some of the stuff they're playing. He has his brother that's in the uh, band as well. Uh, we learn very fast there's a lot of tension. Because Troy, at this point, whatever ego he had before they got signed, it's like blown up tenfold now. Because he's just like, yeah, this is the greatest script ever. It's better than anything Hollywood has ever put out. Now, I'm going to put a, a caveat here, because I know Neko would probably agree. The Boondock Saints 1 and 2 are great. Great fucking movies. Mm -hmm. uh, well acted. Uh, just well made. And, I'm, and I know they didn't really make the money they should you know theaters and whatnot they're very good movies um but taking that aside um it's kind of easy to see why the things happened to troy that they did regards to the falling out that he had with weinstein and stuff because the minute he wasn't getting progress he took it upon himself to start shit talking weinstein in public to other people and very powerful uh Actors and producers like Jerry Buckheimer and Keanu right. Reeves, Ethan Hawke. Oh yeah, he was laying into these guys publicly, like, and really there wasn't any really basis for it. You know, it's obviously his opinion, but like, if you're trying to like at least make your way into this particular industry, the last thing you want to do is burn all these bridges down, because somehow he thought in his great mind that him talking all that shit meant that like he was like this independent dude and he's that, like super like he's taking control now. right like he thought that he would be able to rise above any of the backlash and that didn't prove to be the case like because then you find out harvey weinstein <laughs> has him blacklisted right but he, you don't ever come out and say somebody was blacklisted it's like all, it just happened it just <laughs> happened like all of the meetings were uh canceled and postponed and then um, his $15 million, like, just disappears. And then, um, Miramax drops him. Was it Miramax? Yeah, Miramax yeah, yep, drops yep. him. And then they put it out, uh, to, to other places, and nobody's interested. So then they go to the Cannes Film Festival, and nobody takes a bid on the film fest on the film. Eventually, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead before the Cannes Film Festival. Eventually, after he got dropped, there was an independent company that gave him a um, a budget of I think seven million dollars. Yeah, they cut it down. And um, 
what was the other company called? I can't remember. But it, either way, so Miramax drops him. He has $7 million now to work with. And he ended up having to pay back some of his advance that he got from um, Weinstein and Miramax. They get yeah, the... he blew through all mm -hmm. that. <laughs> so he blew through his money. He doesn't get the bar. He doesn't get to work with Weinstein and Miramax. And he um, now has this movie, which we love, and it turned out great. And a lot of the actors who they were interviewing, and it's kind of weird because I don't think this was meant to be a documentary. I think this started off as, like, personal recordings yeah, just... of what was happening. Right. And... and that's basically what it is. You're following... You're probably the as timeline, it's happening. Right, the timeline as this is going on. So it's not really like explaining what happened. It's just you're seeing live like what's happening at that time. And, and you're how seeing it's all him blow apart. up and you're seeing him cuss at people on the phone. And you're actually literally seeing him like when they're out partying being like, fuck Keanu Reeves and fuck Ethan Hawke. And, you know. Yeah, it's like he's such a narcissist and like, you know... It's sad to watch because even his bandmates and there's a couple of guys that were helping managing the band at the time that like he cuts them out too. He cut them out like they you know they by the time he starts making a little bit of money, they're kind of like looking well, what do we get paid? Like did we get some of this because we've been working our ass off? And he's like, no, you don't deserve this. We're the band. He's just a very big dick. Like it 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 really is kind of surprising. I found this article on Rotten Tomatoes editorial which kind of talks about it and this is this paragraph is kind of funny now part of it I didn't catch about the anti-semitic stuff but it says Duffy is so arrogant and naive that when he's dealing with Harvey Weinstein one of the most feared and intimidating men in the history of film he behaves as if he's negotiating with an equal or even someone beneath him usually it's depressing to see Weinstein crush the dreams and egos of young ambitious filmmakers but when the filmmaker in question is an unbearable and seemingly anti-Semitic as Duffy is, it's not hard to take a certain evil delight in Weinstein's Machiavellian power plays. Weinstein and Duffy are both bullying, arrogant monsters, so their battle is a lot like Godzilla versus King Kong. <laughs> Only if Godzilla were actually Godzilla and King Kong were a child in costume. Oh Needless to God. say, Duffy is the kid in a monkey suit. <laughs> so that's basically what's happened. Duff, uh, Duffy felt like he could take on Weinstein... Uh, and push himself around as if his shit didn't stink, and then Weinstein quickly put him in place. And that's I, I just used the Godzilla King Kong thing because we watched the movie more recently uh, that was made by uh, Legendary, and like that kind of played out the same way, you know. I mean, we know Kong held his ground a little bit, but eventually uh, Godzilla just worked his way and beat his ass. So uh, this is kind of like what happened here, and it's just. It's so strange. Like, I don't even... They never did get around to why... Like, Wahlberg ended up backing out for some reason. I think he was doing an, another movie at the time. Boogie Nights, I think. Oh, that's right. Boogie Nights, yes. So, which is a good choice. Mm -hmm. So, but... You know, eventually... They don't go into too much detail, but Duffy does get a pretty solid cast. You've got William Dafoe. Um, William Dafoe even was laughing at him while they were recording. They're like... He's like, this kid... He's just shaking his head. This kid, this kid, and he, he, mm. Yeah, you got Sean Patrick Flannery, and then I f forget the other guy's name that play the brothers, um, and then even the uh, English guy that get to play the father. I forget his name, but uh, 
he's hilarious. Like, he's just cracking jokes left and right. And, you know, you could tell they're having fun on set. But one, you know, obviously when the movie went to Cannes and, you know, all that, you know, Duffy thought that something was up. Like, they just weren't. And obviously it's, it goes back to the blacklist. I mean, maybe uh, Weinstein had said something to be like, don't touch this film and all this and that. So, you know, that's just stuff that we have no proof of. But probably more likely that's what happened is after Weinstein was spurned by uh, Duffy that he decided, okay, I'm going to teach you a lesson how this works. So it didn't get picked up by anybody. And eventually, you know, the movie itself became a cult classic. I They did get it released for one day one showing i believe at one theater theater yeah and it just kind of after that went away it went straight to uh dvd or i guess vhs whatever it was back then right so i you know i can't remember i don't think something tells me that the the whole like soundtrack thing actually was different music i don't think they it was music. not the brood because they got dropped as well right part of that yeah the biggest thing that nick and i were kind of laughing is their big debut they actually put themselves on the boondock saints yeah they changed their name from the brood to the boondock saints and then they got picked up by a smaller label it was uh they were with atlantic records and now they're with were with some other label and they signed they were you know they were really hopeful for this this band because they're like oh yeah you've got a really different sound blah 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 we're gonna give you a five that album deal. deal and they only sold 690 copies of their album they got dropped from their record deal yeah and i think you know part of the problem here is when it comes to duffy most of his friends and you know the people near him going on with all this are, were part of his band and they all felt that that should have been the the forefront of everything that was going on for them uh and they felt that the movie would should have been more like duffy's kind of like side thing uh as a, a director or a writer so and anytime anybody would would talk to him and say something to him he's like uh did you sell a hollywood script uh did you do this yeah. and it, they, these would just be like his brother and his friends just kind of like saying hey we need to talk about this because this needs to move forward or have you heard yeah, back? he just acted like he was the only one working and no one else was doing anything and then even one point when they're making the record the direct uh, the producer was saying look I think actually Troy's brother is actually very talented, and Troy's the one kind of holding them all back because, you know, they're in a, they're showing a scene where Troy's playing a riff, and he's like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want my brother playing a solo here. I just want to do this, and like that's not what they wanted. They, the, the rest of the band wanted the way it was to begin mm -hmm. with. So it, it's just it was all Troy about Troy, and that you know. I love me some me. Exactly, and uh, it, it's it's to. I wouldn't say it's depressing, but it's just disappointing to watch somebody self-destruct that easily. When uh, they, you know, you obviously the movie's great. I love both those movies a lot, and they're different in their own way. But you know, apparently Duffy's made a couple of other films outside that that I've never seen. I probably have no interest. in. I actually don't think. I think he's only done the Boondock Saints and the Boondock Saints. Well, too. they were saying he has like four altogether or something. But I have to go back and look it up. But. Either way, like, you know, the guy just literally self-destructs in front of you. Like, it's just so amazing to watch because he's so hard-headed. And, and you're watching it live. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, and then, like, you know, when they're eventually, when there's nothing going on, like, he's kind of sitting there. It's kind of like, you remember when we were watching the air disasters and the guy pilot was, like, flying a plane? He's like, oh. And then there's a problem and he can't figure it out what, so he just kind of sits there and, like, hmm. He goes, hmm, this doesn't look right. Right. That, that's basically Duffy because he doesn't understand, like, why shit's happening. He just pretends it doesn't happen, so he pretends that... He's so goddamn smart that he's better than everybody else. Like they, he literally thought, and I, you know, again, Boondock Saints is good, but he literally thought that's the best movie compared to anything else released. Like he'd literally shit on Tarantino if he could. Like he just doesn't care. He thinks he's got the he's the best guy out there making original shit. That's not the case. Mm-hmm. That's not even close to the case. But you know, that just shows you the kind of ego you're dealing with there. So. It was just very strange to watch this unfold. and Because, like I said, Nick and I are a fan of the movies. I actually owned them on DVD. So it's like, I actually went to see the second one in the theater with my friend Chris. You and I went to see the second one in the theater. Did we? Yeah. Okay, maybe it was you and I. I, I, I but my friend Chris I think I, Chris might have went with... I'm trying to think. Because when did All Saints Day come out? Uh, early 2000s? Yeah. So I think we all went together. Yeah, probably. Because um, I know we had talked about it. Uh, and I know that Chris and I had rented it way back when it was released on DVD, the first one. So, you know, we became instant fans of that. And they're really good movies, but, you know, you got to kind of leave your ego at the door when you're doing shit like that and be a little more humble about it. And he just couldn't do it. And that's eventually, like, you know, the one thing the article I'm reading points out is that the reason why Duffy's still able to make movies and stuff right now is that Hollywood can be kind of forgiving if you have some talent. So, like, if they know they can make money, they'll keep you around. That's basically what it comes and, down to. I mean, he hasn't do- he's, he hasn't done much. He's he's written four things. The Boondock Saints, The Boondock Saints 2, Knight Rider 2016, and Guest House, which I've never heard of. It apparently came out last year. Oh, that's probably in Shudder, I think, maybe. And then he's been a producer on three things. Um, Guest House, Knight Rider, and Off the Boulevard, which is a documentary. And then he's directed three things. Luminous, Boondock Saints 2, and The Boondock Saints. Um, he hasn't done a whole lot, and I'm wondering, like, especially because there's a big gap between, um, you know, Boondock Saints and then Boondock Saints 2 was ten years, basically. Right. And then between that and... The Knight Rider 2016, that was like another seven years. And then now Guest House was just last year. That was five-year gap. And I'm just wondering, like, if maybe people are seeing he either A, learned his lesson, or now that the whole Weinstein thing is kind of like gone out in the public in the last couple of years and people are realizing, you know... Harvey Weinstein was kind of a piece of shit. Well, Weinstein is a dick. There's no getting around it. We all know the story with him and some of the girls in Hollywood and whatnot and the shit that he did. And the... Yeah, but I don't think he even has his company anymore. No, really. no. He's been stripped of everything. Mm-hmm. He's done. He was booted the fuck out. But... He's sentenced to 23 years in prison. So, right. like... That's what I'm wondering is, like, if people are like, man, uh, we blacklisted this kid. Yeah, he was an arrogant prick, but well, it, it, we did it because Harvey Weinstein, and now we're realizing Weinstein is a piece of shit. Well, no, and the thing is, like, yeah, Weinstein is, but if you watch his doc, you can see that Duffy is a problem. 
not just with Weinstein, with everybody around mm-hmm. him. And it, he's just as bad. Like, he may not be a rapist or whatever, all the other shit that's going on, but the reality is he just thought he was a rock star before he was actually a rock star. And, you know, he would talk a lot of shit about people, and that's, you know, you can't be like that. You just can't. You can't be like that. Mm-mm. And, uh, Sometimes you have to play the game a little bit. Yeah, and you know, he, he, you know, he got some stuff made, which is fine, and he's still making some stuff, obviously. But you know, he may not have the push that he probably could have had had he been a little bit better about it. And uh, you know, he'll probably use the excuse that you know I was just an average doe, so I didn't know what the hell was going on. But you can't really be like that. Like your character is what people care about. And they mentioned that in the doc. It's like, you got to have better characters. Mm-hmm. So, it's worth checking out. It's on Tubi. It's free. Um, it's called Overnight. Check it out. It's decent. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right, well, in our next block of music, brand new stuff from Machine Head and Fear Factor. Here's Machine Head with Rotten.
Everything is one to the
Closing out that block. Siren. Terrible swift sword. That's a hard thing to... Terrible swift sword. <laughs> <laughs> Say that five times. Back. Right? So we, uh... Nick and I watched the doc again. And it was about Siren! Yes. <laughs> There's a doc out there called I'm Too Old for This Shit, a heavy metal fairy tale. And basically... Uh, you have this band from the early to mid-80s called Siren that was uh, consisting of... Who is the guys here? Um, Ed Aborn on drums, Doug Lee vocals, Greg Culberson, we'll get back to him soon, bass, Todd Grubbs guitar, and Hal Dunn guitar. They went through some different lineup changes, and we'll kind of talk about that a little bit as well, but basically you had this band that you know was really hot in the L.A. scene... Uh, for a while during the 80s, and uh, they were all, like, really kind of, like, poised to, like, become big. Like, you know, they had gotten, they are trying to put a record together, and mm -hmm. they were getting ready to, you know, they were competing with, like, bands like Nasty Savage and all these other bands, and uh, all of a sudden, because of the internal strife and the animosity with the, the band members themselves... And some bad, like, business deals. Oh, and... yeah. People doing shit behind each other's backs, doing Troy Duffy shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the band broke up, and, uh, you know, here we are 30-something years later, and, you know, the guys are, you know, because of social media, this is one of the beautiful things about social media, it gives you uh, a chance to rediscover or, or come back to stuff like this, because Ed had been on Facebook, and... A gentleman from Germany, I can't remember his name, but as a fan, had contacted him and says, is this Ed, the drummer for Siren? And he's like, yeah. And, you know, he was trying to get Ed to get the band together and, you know, come play over there in Germany for a festival. And he was talking with one of the festival organizers. Organizers? Yes, thank you. Can't say it. Um... So, you know, all this talking on the internet and web and thing, and, you know, at that point, Ed decided, well, let me uh, try to get a hold of some of these guys and see if we can, you know, iron some shit out and get something done here. And sure enough, they did. And, you know, it was a little bit tense for a little while because, you know, they, they weren't, they didn't always leave on good terms. So, but they buried a hatchet and they all you know, got caught up with what they were doing. They all like family guys and some had dealt with health issues over the years. Mm -hmm. So there's like this bonding a little bit of like, okay, yeah, you know, not being angry or resentful for what happened back then. You know, there's bigger things in life to worry about. And so they were kind of excited to uh, get stuff going again. And of course, you know, as Nick and I were talking about off air was, Chris Jericho, the wrestler who is in the band Fozzie, we see him even on Joe Bob occasionally, uh, is a big, big part of, like, uh, the metal community and being involved. Like, I kind of look at Chris almost like Dave Grohl. Like, as much as people might frown on Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters and Nirvana, Dave's a very big metalhead. So, like, you know, these guys that while their music themselves may not be as appealing, they, they are big, big fans of the scene and do a lot of things to promote metal and heavy metal. And Chris put together this doc uh, with the band. And uh, would you tell me, it was said if it 
worked it, it out could, well. If it worked out well, it would have been, it, it would be heartwarming. And if it not, it would be a total shit show. Either way, it was uh, entertaining. And it turned out to be, you know, fun. And, and you just see the guys interacting with each other. And I mean, I really like, I, I don't know how the band got approached though for the documentary i'm not i because I, I know chris jericho funded all of this like to make the documentary and it's just i i don't know how someone found out that siren was getting back together for a reunion show it's just it's just wild yeah you know there's different uh figureheads that are very happy about this doc uh there's like a quote uh one of the best documentaries i've seen in a long time period by eli roth producer actor director mm-hmm. slash has commented on uh mike portnay from uh, dream theater charlie benante from anthrax so a lot of people like this and i i, I kind of think that we agree that it's got sort of that feeling like we have a dvd that was given to me uh, on a birthday or something uh about Anvil. Uh, I think I think Herman gave that to you. Yeah, so it's a very good, touching story, because uh, these guys, like I said, they're you know they're almost as old as us here, and they've got families and children. So they're older, right? And so, but they're still very excited because like they just they all kind of felt like they missed out on the being big, like just because of the shit that happened, they just didn't make it, and it's you know they were just disappointed really basically but here it is now they have an opportunity to go across to this festival and apparently they have a huge following in germany in europe they're they're not shocking (laughs) their their record was was released in europe and not the u.s or maybe i I, i'm not sure i think it's both but because Mm -hmm. like as they kind of point out in the documentary that over in europe there's not like a super amount of pop, so metal is like king over mm-hmm. there. So that's why when we see the Walken Festival or Download and stuff like that, uh, the Netherlands Death Fest, which is run by the guys from NDF, you know, it's just big. And it's like a big fucking thing. Like we've seen the footage with Maiden playing there and other bands and how big the fucking. It's, it's almost like Lollapalooza is only tenfold. Mm-hmm. So. You know, here they get a chance to go play, and this is kind of like their dream. You know, they're not really expecting so much that they're also become millionaires, but they never got a chance to play this kind of like venue or or festival. So the fact that they've had so much push from the fan base to come do this uh, is a huge thing. So I think they did write some new songs. I don't remember if they ever put out a record for that. I think they did actually last year. I think they put a new record out. Um, but, you know, they had to kind of get over like a lot of the shit that happened when they were younger. And even one point they had a, a guy who's going to play bass for them. And then he ended up getting hurt uh, a few days before they had to go to Germany. And so they went and got another guy who played with the band for a short time, and that was Greg Culbertson. And he's like a character. He's man. the best part of the whole. Like they're like, where is he? Where's Greg? Yeah, where did he go? It's not like he's purposely being funny. It's just that he's gets in the mischief all the time. Well, he's he's one thing we learned. Like we talked about it while watching is that because neither one of us. Well, you've been over in Europe before. I haven't, but. One of the things is, Greg, this is the first time a lot of these guys get to go over there. 
And Greg's like, once he gets there, he's like trying to sightsee while he's there. Like he's there for business, but he's like, dude, I have, I don't know when I'm gonna get back the fuck over here. I'm gonna go look at some shit. So he's making friends with fucking cats and drinking. Oh yeah, that's right. And then like you know, uh, getting on top of like these stone things. Like I think Ed had to come say, look, man, we just lost a basis. You can't. Yeah, do we this. can't. You can't get hurt. Yeah. So. <laughs> But he, he's very inquisitive and curious, and he wants to learn about the culture, so he, he kind of just disappears. Like, they say, yeah, we'll be sitting here talking, and all of a sudden, Greg's gone. Like, he just walks off somewhere. <laughs> and that's just because he's either talking with people uh, around the area um, to get to know people, or he's, like, just sightseeing. So, it's just one of those funny things, because he's one of those guys that just kind of is disappearing on them but they always have to track him down. But, you know, that's the fun thing about it is that he's just enjoying his time there. I mean, even on the uh, the cover, we see him. He's there with his base, and uh, he's, you know, he's just one of the better parts of the the dock itself. All the guys are cool. Ed, the drummer, is really kind of the guy that spearheaded a lot of it. And, uh, you know, he's just, he, there's a moment where, someone's talking to him about being a fan and you know he just kind of gets a little bit emotional about it because the kid the guy fan is emotional because he's never seen him mm -hmm. uh this is the biggest thing the guy that actually the one fan that actually kind of kicked this all off is huge fan like you would think of all the metal bands in the world and he probably likes a lot of different metal bands but this one siren was like his shit and so like he's like i just had never seen them and like this was a big deal so even when the band finally plays for the festival they asked him to come introduce them and he did and like that was really really sweet yeah it was a big moment so um it's just really cool to see they even i think they gave him like a banner or something they signed mm -hmm. and it, it was just a huge deal and you hear like uh chris jericho talking in different parts of the dock you know about what it meant and why it's a big deal and how this band kind of stood out above others in terms of like why it was so important for them to come do this like they played like a a show in florida or something where it was like a warm-up gig and they were playing with nasty savage and some other bands i think from that era mm -hmm. and uh that was like they're kind of one like you know yeah we can do this now we can go to germany uh, germany and get this done so you know they obviously had uh trials and tribulations you know they're in a different country so at one point i think the singer kind of started losing his passport oh that's right so they weren't sure what the fuck was going to go with that but he was looking all over the place and he finally finds it in his jacket oh my god uh you know i was like that would be you and then like the day of like you know they were probably like five miles from the the festival and they didn't have any really arrangements to get there and they were like well we're too old to be walking that <laughs> so they someone who they knew got a van there and they got over there but it's just one of those things like you don't really think about it at the time it's like well did you really plan for this because her and i when we talk about going to do something like that we're not much of campers so mm -hmm. it's like we probably end up having to rent a car or you know stay somewhere somewhat nearby if possible to uh to, you know get over there and whatnot but you know unless we had a camper truck i've seen them they have them there but it just you know it's one of those things you'd probably have to rent or something mm -hmm. I don't know. but uh yeah we're just not much of a tent person mm -mm. so I'm, I'm not interested at all sleeping on the ground in a tent 
I, I don't know. I am not really that snobby of a person, but the idea of sleeping on the ground in the summer with bugs and it's hot and there's no shower. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, we know that the metal scene in general, that's just how it is. Like, even MDF, like, we're going to be outside again this year, at least for some of it. And it gets gets swampy. and Well, yeah. But it should be. Because we know Shub shows are already starting back in August. So, by the time maybe... No, I'm talking about maybe we'll be outside. They haven't really... um, Solidified it. Well, they're getting it, but they haven't said who's going to be playing where. I mean, for them to, to start this whole bullshit up again with the... The problem is the outside stuff for the Edison lot, it's not like in this nice giant field like you see in Germany. It is on an asphalt parking lot. Which gets hot. Which is really fucking hot. And there's no shade. There's like one tiny little tree. I think the one thing that I wish they would have done and. Maybe I, I don't know if I can hit those guys up. I mean, it's all cost, obviously. Mm-hmm. But is the last time they did all this, it wasn't that it was such a bad idea. It's just that, as Neko said, it's hard to avoid the sun. So, like, they had, like, a couple benches out there, but they really need to set up, like, a big area for that right in the middle between both stages. So that and you have more umbrellas and stuff, so that people can escape the heat a little bit because. And then where you park is another giant asphalt parking lot across from it. Now you can, we would go to the car, turn it on, and sit in the air conditioning and just listen because it's. When I say hot, like it's it's hard to explain how hot it is, and there is no inside. They used to do it when it was on a smaller scale. And that's the other thing too. Like we've had a couple years where it was actually kind of cold and rainy, so. Again, you can't escape anything, so you're just out there getting drenched and like, you know, it, it, I, you know. I know I'm sounding like an old guy here because of that. Because if I was 20, I probably wouldn't give a flying fuck. If I was 20, I would. I would still care. That's but that's just me because I hate the heat. Right. I am not. I like. I I cannot understand why people love the summertime so much. I I don't like to sweat. So when I'm trying to be taking time off of work to have my vacation. And all I'm doing is sweating for five days, and I'm not sitting by a pool or the beach to enjoy myself? No. So, they moved it indoors at two venues that are right by each other, and they did it for, a, like, a couple of years. And, you know, it's... It's it, actually quite comfortable, because... It's it, very the, nice. The biggest thing for me is, and, like, I know I lost a lot of weight and everything, but... When they moved it indoors, it was basically, you were literally across the street from the other vendors. Mm-hmm. So both of them, you didn't have to walk very far. The uh, vendors were all outside right between both of them. And that was more convenient than having to walk. Because like, I know that one reason why they quit is because they had, at some point, they were almost two or three different venues. Because mm-hmm. they had like certain acts, like hardcore or whatever, playing and that's what they're going back to, and we're going to have to pick and choose because it takes, we have to park somewhere else. I believe Nomos and them are playing at mm-hmm. We still We have all, all venues, all days, so, and they will extend that to us t- to go to the Edison lot. But I'm also, like... But it's going to be a, a, a trip to get there. Mm-hmm. Because... I mean, it's not that far, and yes, you can walk it, 
But when I say it gets hot here, even though it's only Memorial Day, it's so disgustingly hot. And we drink, and it's like... And you're walking for 30 minutes? I mean... Yeah. It, it, it's kind of a pain in the ass, and... I, I'm, I, honestly, I'm not entirely sure why... Well, actually, I, I think the reason why they're doing this is because they had a hard time holding down Ram's head and soundstage for certain things. Like, they can only hold that for so long, so they probably had... Ram, uh, Rams had probably had other acts coming in during that time, so they probably had to think of something else. I think there's still going to be some things going on at Ram's Head and Soundstage. Maybe. But I don't know. I mean, they're, they're still working on it because there are, you know, there's still some places that are not letting people travel, you know, and the U.S. is, you know, finally opening up a lot of areas. Um, but it's still like the travel is kind of quick because everybody who is coming from Europe has to get um, travel documentation in advance and I think um, what I'm learning from some of our European friends is the uh, it's not as easy to get a a vaccine as it is here like and especially for you and I both being considered essential employees for the infrastructure of what's going on, you know, in the U.S., we were always eligible, but just like the amount of vaccines were not there at the beginning. So we just, I just kind of gave up looking for a vaccine for a while until they started like saying, okay, we have more vaccines. And then you could, you could go to the mass vaccination sites. And that's what, what I did. And then when they started getting more in the pharmacies and stuff, that's what you did. It was, like, pretty easy right. by that point. But, yeah, you know, it's just, at this point, like, no, we're kind of getting off topic, but... That's fine. Uh, you know, I'm kind of hoping they'll find a way to get back to where it's just the indoor stuff. Because, you know, you do need a way to kind of cool down. It's very difficult when you're outside. And I know people are going to say, well, that's not really what the festival's about, jackass. It's not indoors. True. However, we did notice at times when we were doing this the first time around that certain bands don't belong outside. Like, there's no way they need to watch a black metal band like Take outside mm -hmm. in the sun. It makes no fucking sense. It, it kills the fucking atmosphere of the music itself. And also, you know, there's very strict noise ordinance in, in place in Baltimore, and it's you get fined by the minute. And we, who were we watching? Electric Wizard, I think. It, I, it was somebody who they was... They got cut off early. Mm -hmm. They Well, they... And they, they're well, terrible. they got cut off. They got cut off because they just pulled the plug at 11 o'clock. And I don't... They, I didn't get to finish this mm -mm. at all. Because they, they were behind. Well, that's the other thing, too. Maryland Death Fest is notoriously terrible at managing their time and getting people in and out of, of the... Um, Except for when they were at both venues inside. Like, mm -hmm. It's been pretty well run since it's there. And one of the reasons why these guys did that is because they said the cost was too much. So now, I'm not sure like where they came up with the money or whatever, but... Because they wouldn't refund people's tickets. Well... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fine. But as long as you can keep the bands, like I know a couple had to drop out and they added some, which is great. And they they said they're adding so many that uh, let me go back to their their Facebook page. They're adding so many that that's why they're opening up the Edison lot because they they say that they have enough um, bands now. Right. And it's probably because you know what this was supposed to be 2019. This happened initially. Uh, um. Yeah. So. You know, they probably had bands that they were going to work into 2020 and 2021, 
that they kind of had to put on hold because the other festival hadn't even happened. So they're kind of... And they had to, like, they literally, a lot of the bands and, and a lot of their travelers are out of, um, out of the country. Yeah, out of the state, out of the country, so... You know, some people may not still be able to go because of when it happens, but... Well, it says, while we're waiting to reach the point of being able to announce more bands, mostly for Edison Lot, we wanted to bring you up to speed. Um, all... You'll notice that all the show remains the same for all bands except for Suffocation as they've moved to Friday from Thursday to accommodate their tour. So, I mean... They are, for the time being, bands playing at Edison Lot and Ramshead will be listed together as Edison Lot and Ramshead. Even if we aren't completely finished booking by the end of June, we'll be able to clarify which venue these bands will be playing around the end of the month. So we should hear something soon. Yeah. So, you know, going back to Siren, you know, these guys got a chance to play a big festival and they were well received. And uh, it was a lot of fun watching them be happy and, you know, just excitement that they had. Uh, to be able to do that after so many years and you know like I said last year I believe they put out a new record I don't recall re listening to it but maybe I'll go back and revisit it if I can find it but either way uh, it was a lot of fun watching them go through this process of getting it worked out and playing and like I said Greg was a real trip to watch uh, while he was there and that's that. but it's kind of fun watching it because you know he's clearly enjoying his time over there and i'm sure all the guys did uh but you know it's good it's a good uh doc to check out it's called i'm too old for this shit a heavy metal fairy tale and you can also i believe this is part of the time with chris jericho he has a, a podcast called talk is jericho and he actually talked with the guys and interviewed him at one point so you can check that out if you can find his site on facebook or whatever oh i love that mm -hmm. i love seeing you know how I mean, can you imagine just how that being you, like, you know, you feel like that was my dream and it's gone and then thirty years later, twenty years later, it's like you have this second chance and well, that's that's the thing. Like a lot of times the resurgence uh with bands is pretty interesting because for a long time, Laws Rock had broken up. They got back together. Atrophy, remember? Yeah, 2008, but then their drummer died, so they kind of, like, just disbanded at that point. But even Death Angel for a short time, they'd actually gone on and done, like, a different type of project and then came back with Death Angel. They put out a lot of solid records. Um, it, it's just cool to see some of these bands get the band. So now these guys, despite their age and siren you know maybe they're going to put out another couple of records you know if they got the the health and everything else that goes with it they may not do extensive touring but with the interest back in the band and you know like we you and i were talking like even with our shows we've been playing a lot more old school stuff that i've been finding through other mm -hmm. sources uh bands that i've known about but not really sat and listened to so a band like hypnosia would kicked off the uh the podcast you know it's really great to hear some of these bands that i hadn't heard previously all right all right so in our next block uh all coming from labels and uh promotional sites that we work with like uh grand sounds promotion dead center promotions and horror pain mr mike giuliano so we got some snow guard brilliant coldness and we're going to kick it off with some brand new stuff from catharsis this is village of witches <laughs> Thank you. 
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. Getting ready to get into our rock block. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So tell me about this rock block, DJ Anubis. <laughs> Got some classic stuff from Malice and Sabotage in here. New stuff from the Chris Rolling Squad, The Rumors, and we got Neko's Pick of the Week. I think it's the second song from this particular artist she's chosen, so uh, we'll get around to that. Because it's fucking phenomenal. Phenomenal. So we're going to kick it all off with uh, a brand new track that Kill Sound uh, Productions sent me from an L.A. band called uh, Edge of Paradise. It's called Digital Paradise. Hey! And uh, ironically enough, uh, it's headed by uh, vocalist Margar- Ma- Margarita Monet. Uh, very lovely. Uh, stunning, stunning singer. Um, I did find out that... Uh, Dave Bates, a guitarist, uh, actually had worked with Greg Bissonette, um, who had actually been drumming for David Lee Roth back in the heyday, so I thought that was kind of cool. So he's in this band, but he was drumming for David Lee Roth too? No, no, no. He's a guitarist, but he was playing in a band called Bleed with a couple other guys and a drummer, Greg, uh, who had actually played with uh, Roth back on the um, Eden with Smile record, maybe even Skyscraper, I can't remember, but... Uh, I thought, I thought that was kind of a cool little thing there, tidbit. But uh, yeah, we're going to kick off uh, our rock block with them. This is Digital Paradise.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio.
right, Sabotage, Beyond the Doors of the Dark, from their best record, Halls of the Mountain King. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it got me thinking, though. Uh, well, let me clear up one thing first. I do apologize for... I misspoke about a band that we were playing in a rock like I didn't have in there. Uh, it was actually the Midnight Devils and not the Rumors. So the Rumors I'll be playing on the next podcast. Sorry about that, guys. Uh-oh. But, um... You know, when it comes to your picks of the week, like, you have 70s and 90s, and somehow you skip the 80s with your picks, and I find that interesting. Um, well, l let's go look at the list that I have that we haven't hit yet and see if there's anything 80s in there, and then you can play it next week. Well, I mean, we'll we'll talk about that off, off mic, but I just found it interesting when I'm looking at the stuff. Because I know you like some 80s stuff, so it just but there's not a lot of it in there, so... Maybe it just doesn't touch me the way that the 70s and the 90s do. I touch myself. Mm -mm 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 -mm. <laughs> Remember the Daniels? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Alright, so give us a lowdown on what you got for us this week. I mean, I don't... I don't know where to begin, because this is obviously one of my favorite... Ish. I don't want to say my favorite, but one of my favorite. Well, I love the, um... I start drawing a blank with the band. There's a great cover of this. The uh, Saigon Kick does an excellent cover of the song. But, uh, it is the second one from this particular artist that you've chosen, which I always find interesting. But, you know, it's funny because you're a big Queen fan. I'm surprised I don't see more of those songs in there. But, uh, yeah, go on. Continue. Well, at first... This is gonna sound terrible. My dad hates this song. Hmm. And I don't know, um... If you were there during the conversation, um... I don't know. I don't think you were. I don't think you were home from work yet. And, uh, I was... My sister and I were talking to, um, her husband and, you know, just kind of talking about having, uh, crabs at this place called the Corral Inn, which doesn't exist anymore. Very, very unique seasoning. Like, it's not the regular stuff that you get, the Old Bay. It was kind of like a mustard and black pepper kind of taste, but it was really good. It was really different. And, you know, this was back in the late 80s, early 90s, where you took your children to bars and had no qualms about it. And there were no, like, you have to be out of the bar at 9 o'clock because you have your kids kind of thing. Um, and my parents would play Kino and, um, eat crabs and drink in the drink, bar drink up. while we were having dinner and crabs. And my dad would give my sister and I money to play songs in the jukebox. And I, I remember like this particular song coming on and my dad's like, I hate this song. I hate this guy. Oh my God. And when I heard it, I was like. I don't hate it. I think it's pretty funny. You're like, are you fucking mad? Yeah, and this is me being a kid. This is, like, I didn't know much, because my mom is also not a huge, not, not a huge fan. Like, not as, hates it as much as my dad, but just, I feel like you're kind of like, um, you are or you aren't. Right. With this, this particular artist. So, somebody played this on the jukebox. And he was like, oh my god, this is like the worst. And then I'm like, no, this is really 
amazing, <laughs> actually. And it kind of, like, struck me as that my dad hated it so much. So when I got older and, you know, there used to be that really awesome record store by us, record and tape traders, and I would get more of the music because this is before the internet and this is before Napster and this is, you had to go list to record stores to listen to records and try things out and so this song the artist I'm speaking of is of course David Bowie and the song is Space Oddity and I really didn't get to delve more into this you know particular artist until I got a little older and because my mom really didn't have any catalog of him and my dad completely disliked his music so as I became a teenager and they always had like the section where it was used CDs and they were like cheaper and I would start picking like things up right and and you know I'd ask to listen because you were allowed to ask to listen to songs and they had a couple of listening stations but this song always um, really just, it just brought me back to being a kid in the bar with my dad going, I hate this fucking song. <laughs> and it just makes me laugh because I, I really like, he hated the song so much, but I'm like, I really like this song. So I, it just, it was beyond me, but you know, you know my dad, he and I, our, our tastes in life in general are completely the opposite. So it's not surprising now that I'm older and I am an adult and I can see like why I, I would like this and, and he doesn't. So without further ado, this is my pick of the week. It is David Bowie's Space Oddity. Attention please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome DJ Neko's pick of the week. Ground control to Major Tom Take your protein pills and put your helmet on Ground control to Major Tom 
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. remakes and some remakes are actually better than the movie and some remakes are like you just don't even realize that they're remakes because they they are so well done and well we also talk about like one of our biggest questions is like why are remakes so bad like for the most part and why do they feel like they have to remake everything like I, I, I know, see, this is, so, let me see if I can put it this way. Plays and musicals, live performances, it's the same thing over and over again. Like, you go to see Grease and it's the same thing. And they're live performances. So I think sometimes when people think of movies, uh, they're like, oh, well, you know, a remake isn't such a bad idea because you know the the original was done in the 60s or 70s or 80s now that doing a remake it's just like redoing a performance like that's kind of how i think some directors see it because again live performances are the exact same show over and over and over again so maybe people who make movies kind of look at it with that Lens saying, well, you know, they do a chorus line or they do a Shakespearean play all the time and it's the same thing and everybody knows how it's going to end, but people still go to see it. So maybe remaking a movie is not going to like, it's not such a bad idea. Yeah. The, the theory with remakes and reboots is that you're attempting to reinvigorate or reinvent a movie that was made in the past and before we get into our list I, I had you make up a list of 12 good remakes and 12 bad that, you know we you know we'll talk about a bit and but you know when it comes to remakes in the dawn of the new age like within the last 20 or so years it seems like it's a way for Hollywood to play safe like there's Obviously, we still have different movies coming out with original concepts and whatnot, but when it comes to, like, how do we get people in the seats of the theaters or the drive-ins, we want to come up with ways to reinvent something that sometimes doesn't really need to be reinvented. Now, some cases are different. and I think sometimes, too, the, the technology that is available now versus what well, that, was... Yeah, that's going to play a part in one of the ones I didn't like, but... For one that did, and I'll just start my first one on my list for good remakes, is obviously you and I agree, The Thing. I have that on my list, too, as what I think is a really good remake, because I didn't know it was even a remake. Yeah, you know, Carpenter reinvented him, you know, the whole thing, and brought in, like, just different concepts, a different a way to uh, apply it with the special effects and everything else and it stood out and it still has stood out today as one of the best remakes ever um 
flipping back to what we were just talking about where technology and uh, computer graphics and whatnot one of the failings uh, is something called Clash of the Titans in 2000. And I put that on my list too. <laughs> I I told you I it was so surprising too with you think with what we have to work with and the amazing actors that they had for Clash of the Titans. It just they tried to remake it but change it just a little bit. Yeah, it was so bizarre because the original 1981 film you know take a take away the the stop motion monsters and whatnot which were i actually fabulous. loved it no i do but like when it comes to the remake they want they actually made it a trilogy which was dumb already but the fact that they wanted to change the story so much that it just became stupid and then you add in what you were talking about the cgi was it was just so heavily cgi that it wasn't even very good cgi mm -hmm. And that's part of the problem there, too. So, um, yeah, so part of it's just money because they want to get people in the seats. And they do that. They, you know, they probably made some money off some of this stuff that is really bad. Hey! Um, that was our cat. I don't know if you heard her or not. <laughs> yeah, she's just moaning for the hell of it. She wants a snack. Um, so let's get into our list a little bit. Um... What was the first one on your list? Uh, well, I had The Departed because I didn't even realize it was a remake. I actually um, thought it was loosely based off of um, the Boston Mafia boss. Uh, what's his name? Whitey whatever. Bulger? Or... I, I, yeah, I can't remember his name. But then they did that movie Black Mass, which was literally supposed to be about him. And... That movie could have been so much better, and it just... Is that I the one with Depp? Mm -hmm. yeah. I watched it once, and I just was like, The Departed is better than this. And they used a lot of, like, stuff that happened kind of parallel and put it in, like, following his life, put it in The Departed and made it a really good movie. But then when you see Black Mass, you're like, <laughs> I understand that this is literally the story, but The Departed's way better. Like... I... Yeah, that ended up on my list, too, um, Departed. Definitely a great movie. Uh, I had heard that it was a remake, but I don't think I ever saw the original, so it didn't really matter, because <laughs> it, it's such strong performances. Dude, you know how often I watch The Departed. It's it's like, and you and I just quote it all the time. Right. <laughs> so the first one to make it on my bad list is the remake of Poltergeist 2015. I 100% agree i didn't put it on my list but i 100 percent agree because you know how i feel about the original poltergeist how much um there are so many things i saw it probably when i was too young and there were so many things that scared me the the fucking pool scene the fucking clown under the bed the like all of these little like things were so scary and when i watched the new one like it didn't really scare me it was more like that's the problem with like a lot of the remakes now, especially in horror. Is like it just becomes lifeless. Like, forget the fact that we see stuff like, you know, the, the ring. Well, the woke culture mm -hmm. and you know stuff like that, where it's it they're trying to force an agenda or something within it. But I don't think even Poltergeist in 2015 was trying to do that. They were just not. It just wasn't very well made. I feel like they were just trying to shot for shot remake it. But then they were trying to just, like, modernize it. 
but there was just something about Poltergeist, the the original. There was just so much like they even then uh... they didn't need like this amazing CGI. Like or... I don't think even the remake had the face tearing thing. Like it is like they kind of like I even the special effects back in the original was way better. But I know it's like they were afraid to go that route. But you know, again, we're you know a different generation of people. Uh, I couldn't tell you who all liked the remake. I know that when I was looking through like articles and lists and the best of it, that one came as one of the worst uh, in the bunch. A lot of the ones that I have in my list and probably you are all in the the, the worst of all time. So there's good reason for that. Uh, Another one from my good remakes is Dawn of the Dead 2004. Uh, This is where I had actually seen this before uh 28 days later and this is where the fast zombie was introduced and that yeah, really, no. that was kind of a game changer mm-hmm. uh cuz i thought oh shit they went there <laughs> you know so it's one of those rare cases where both the original and the remake are incredibly good for different reasons uh what was the second one on your good list um a star is born now the thing with a star is born is the very original A Star is Born, I'm trying to think how long ago that was, um, it wasn't a musical. But then Judy, Barbara Streisand, and Lady Gaga, all of theirs were um, were musicals. However, the stories are not exactly the same at all. They're, they're similar, whereas the, the there's a leading woman and a leading man, um, you know, getting together, performing. It's very similar, but it's not exactly the same. And I think they just kind of modernize it, but, you, you know, you kind of get the same vibe where it's, you have this, this woman who goes through the motions of becoming famous. Um, but I really thought it was important to mention it because we're now at the fourth iteration of A Star is Born, I believe. Yeah. And they're all good enough to kind of stand on their own. And they're all during different time periods, which really reflect the time well. If you, if you kind of get what I mean. Like, you know, the 70s was the Barbara Streisand one. The, the I think yeah. it was the 40s. I the, never saw any other ones and like... You know, I you know we watched the recent one with Bradley Cooper so and good. Lady Gaga, and like they gave gave great performances. Like, story's a little depressing, but yeah, it, it's a really really good uh, movie, and you know, kind of cool. I didn't even realize at the time how many times it had been kind of adapted the way it was, but uh, I didn't make my list. But it, I mean, it's definitely something I would say or recommend to people to watch because it's definitely a good movie. Well, it's Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. I couldn't remember oh, yeah. um, who her leading man was, but yeah. And I honestly, I'm really, I really do like the Lady Gaga one better. And it just might be because I love Lady Gaga. Like she's, I'm sure a lot of you out there are like, how the hell do you like Lady Gaga? It's like a total 180, but I also like Kelly Clarkson. So, I mean, I do like a lot of different things. I like Prince. I like the Wu-Tang Clan. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of metal fans that are down with Wu-Tang, so it's not like it's off the cuff or anything, but... 
And who was your next... Uh... Bad? Yeah. We already talked about it, Clash of the Titans 2010, but uh, I'll jump to my third okay. on that one, is The Fog 2006. Is that the one? I, I think... I don't remember. Maybe it's this is why it's bad. Like, is that the one where at the end he's like only got one bullet and he's in the fog and they're now that's uh, the mist. that's the mist. That yeah. one's bad too. Anyway, uh, the it's fog not... though. Um, basically, it's a retelling of the two thousand or the nineteen eighty one movie with Adrian Barbeau, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, uh, I forget the other guy's name, but. Uh, it's about where they're on this little island or plateau with a lighthouse, and there's been a, a history with the haunting of a bunch of sailors that were had stolen some gold. Okay, so I probably got to watch the original one because it sounds like something I would like. Ah, it's beautiful. I just I don't I don't re- remember the movie at all. So it's another Carpenter classic. Okay. Yeah, the remake just it had the girl from uh, who. Actually, it was in a re- another remake called uh, When a Stranger Calls, uh, Camille something. The call is coming from inside the house! But the, this remake of The Fog, again, tried to change some things. and it, But again, just lifeless. Uh, doesn't hold accounts of anything from the original. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what was your second or third on your baddie, baddie list? So, we, we talked about Clash of the Titans. We uh, also... Let me see. I didn't put your other one, the Poltergeist or the Fog. But for me, this one almost counts as a twofer. Twofer. Footloose, the remake. Now, the reason that it's bad isn't because I'm like, oh, it's Kevin Bacon and you can't replace Kevin Bacon. The first Footloose is great. And it's fun and well acted. They turned Footloose into a musical. And the live musical is is great like if you go and see it and they they use all the the songs from the movie they use footloose they do you know let's hear it for the boy and like people are actually singing and dancing and you know acting out this story they tried to put the musical version into a movie and that fails more often than it succeeds it succeeded with grease like a hundredfold because the original grease script was kind of raunchy and a little too much and they like cleaned it up in, a little bit in the 70s and made it more like g-rated and and put it on i mean it still was a little bit you know raunchy but nothing like the original grease script and then after this resurgence of grease after as they performed it years going on they adapted it more to the movie the movie of the remake of Footloose is a musical version of Footloose, and it's a poorly done musical version. I think I saw it still where it's like line dancing or mm-hmm. some shit. And that's okay, because they had that in, in the original movie. But the, it's just a bad performance of the musical, because the musical's not bad. Which is goes to my second. They did a live musical. Live stream. Like, it was on TV of the musical... And it was bad. So it's very hard to get a musical to turn into a movie. Like, I love Chicago, and I love the movie Chicago, but seeing it on stage is, un it's like breathtaking. You know, the whole cell block tango, 
you see it on TV and they're they're singing and they're just like they do like all these close-ups and stuff. When they do the cell block tango and it's on the stage, it's like levels and levels and levels of cells and they're like slamming the door. It's it's very a different experience. It's hard. So that's why I hate that they tried to put the musical on a movie because you're never going to get the same experience cuz just because of how you use a stage versus film. All right, so now I'm going to go to my third on my good remakes. Okay. It's Evil Dead 2013. Now, we and liked that, didn't we? It it's was... very controversial within the horror genre. There are quite a few that like us like it. Uh, others, not so much because they're really diehard into the original, which I understand the impact of the original Evil Dead, obviously. But I felt like it was more... Um, I feel like if you've never seen the original and you watch the Evil Dead 2013... It holds its own. Yeah. That's what makes it a good movie. Like, well, the other thing if was... You wouldn't realize it was a remake. You And it almost... Because we know the story. If you saw 2013, it's almost scarier. That's the point, yeah. Uh, Raimi is known for bringing his more comedic persona into some of the stuff. That's why... But that the funny thing is, is like with Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness, those films are far superior to the first Evil Dead for me as well. Uh, they're actually far superior to Evil Dead 2013, but I do like Evil Dead 13 compared to the original Evil Dead because it is scarier, it is darker, it is more gory. Uh, it just has something that the original didn't. And of course, I know budgets are different and everything else, but uh, I don't know. It just it works for me a lot better than the original Evil Dead, and I, it, I don't hate the original Evil Dead, but I just it's far better for me. Mm -hmm. uh, what was else on your? Oh list? my good. Yeah. The next one I put is Bedazzled, literally because we just watched it last week, yeah. and I know you agree with that as well, because I, um, we also watched the original, and we really liked the original, but we saw the second one first. Right. So when we found out it was a remake, we're like, the directors have done something with both of these that makes them a similar story, but still unique in their own. Are we going back to the bad side? Um, yeah, but we're going to... We're, even though we have our list, we're just going to pick out certain ones that we're going to talk about. Um, you didn't watch any of it. I did, and I couldn't get through like five minutes. It was A Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. Oh, I watched I watched a few portions of it, too. So that's... that's a, I, you know how I feel about... I was obsessed with Freddy as a kid. Yeah. So A Nightmare on Elm Street is, is sacred to me. So when they remade it, I just, I can't, I couldn't have Rorschach be a child molester wearing <laughs> a, a razor glove. It just didn't work for me. Yeah, you know, I love Jackie Earl Haley, but like, and it's not his fault. It, you know, he probably said, oh God, yeah, they want me as Freddy. I'm, I'm all in. Like, you know, it's got to be like a dream come true to try to do it. But you're taking on an iconic character plus an iconic film and it, it just... You know, I, I heard they're trying to reboot it again. So. Just don't. Just don't leave it alone. Just, just no. Just no. Um, so for me, I'll, I'll give you a few of mine in a lump sum. So I was, well, hold for on. my for my bads, piggybacking on my my Footloose. They also remade Fame. Fame, the original movie, was a movie. They turned it into a musical. Then they tried to do a movie of the musical failure hairspray same thing 
I know we watched the John Travolta hairspray, but again, it did not, it's better as a musical show. Mm -hmm. So the original is great as a movie. The musical is great on stage. And um, Annie, like that's another, like, did you ever see that one? Oh yeah, I saw it with Jamie Foxx's Daddy Warbucks. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> it's not good. And I I just like it's a no. It's a no for me, dog. Sorry, as uh Randy Jackson would say. <laughs> it's a no for me, dog. <laughs> I but see the thing is it's like you said, Jamie Foxx is really funny and he's a good actor, and when someone approaches you with a really like would you like to be Daddy Warbucks? Daddy Warbucks is an old gross man who abuses the orphans. Ugh. That's not what you get when you look at Jamie Foxx. You think of a funny guy, you know, with what charisma or whatever. Right, right. And um, also, hold on, lose uh, my. Well, go let's... ahead, you go. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, so I got three good that I'll talk about uh, and three bad. I'm going to go down my list of bad, though, that I'm not going to talk about too much about, but I'm going to list them. Uh, that's The Haunting 1999. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Liam Neeson. It was just a very bad remake um, of a film. Mm -hmm. Fright Night 2011. Some people actually liked this film. I did not um, compare it to the original. My Bloody Valentine, which starred... Uh, Who's your boy from Supernatural? Uh, Dean uh, played in that. Jensen. Jensen, yep. Jensen Eccles. Uh, not as good as the original. Bangkok Dangerous, which was a martial arts film. Uh, the original is fantastic. They did the remake with uh, Nicolas Cage, and it just did not work at all. Terrible. <laughs> uh, Godzilla, 1998. I was hesitant to put this on there because I don't necessarily hate the film, uh, but if I'm but if I'm going to compare it to anything else in the Godzilla universe, yeah, it was kind of not done well. It was yeah, it was like a reboot that they just kind of threw together. So yeah, you can find three more that you want to talk about, but then maybe go through the rest of your list of so, what you had on I'll there. I'll put it like this: so anything that like Psycho, they try to do a, a shot for shot remake, it doesn't work. It mm. doesn't matter. It just doesn't work. Same so that's thing. Along with um, God, what was his name? The guy from uh, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. Uh, Dodgeball, the lead. I don't think so. I'll look it up. Okay, just... Carrie was another one. Like it just you can't just remake. It just doesn't work, right? You you just. I also um, put when they rebooted the Karate Kid. I I didn't. I mean, I get it. It was like kind of a different story but like i just was i've i've got a soft spot for the karate kid and um one thing though that vince vaughn it is vince vaughn okay i couldn't remember if it well you would think that vince vaughn would make an well there's a shit ton of great actors <laughs> in this it's just not good it's they try it actually ended up on the bad one of the worst bad lists because like i enjoy the original psycho and i, I just I couldn't believe how bad it was, and it was just like whoever wrote it and and directed it, they literally tried to remake Alfred Hitchcock's movie, but in color and a little bit more modern. It just doesn't work. <laughs> I think my last um, one that I think I've gone through my whole list. So the last one that I have um, is 
Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Now, it's not exactly a reboot, but it's it's not a remake. It's kind of like, and it's not even a sequel. It's in the same vein. And the reason I, I left this in here is because you know my obsession with Patrick Swayze and Dirty Dancing, and I think I've watched it 700 times. Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, it was interesting because it was right during, like, the Cuban Revolution and, like, all these Americans are in Cuba and this American girl is there and her father is, you know, working with a Cuban company, blah, blah, blah. She finds this Cuban boy and they go out dancing. Hmm. Very, you know, it's a similar type thing as the original Dirty Dancing. And it's also taken place, like, around the same time. Because, you know, the original Dirty Dancing is supposed to be taking place, like, in the 60s. And this same thing, Cuban Revolution. Anyway, you got the, you know, the bad boy with the good girl going out doing the dirty dancing type thing and then they have to be separated for the rest of their lives Swayze actually makes a cameo as a dance instructor and he gets like you know maybe five minutes on screen so that's the only redeeming quality but I I went to see it in the movie theater with my friend Adrian and it was in the smallest movie theater in the whole theater you know how they have that one back in the corner it probably stayed in the theater for maybe three weeks and it went away it was not good and i'm not saying i don't know how to make it better but it just if you call it dirty dancing havana you should have just called it havana nights you know what i mean like just make it be its own movie don't try to make it be attached to because then you have all these expectations just call it havana nights and and leave it at that so that's, I think, all of mine. Uh, we, yeah, that's all of my baddies. Okay. So now with my goods, uh, I'm gonna cut through some of these real fast because generally uh, we still have three to talk about. But um, of the remaining that I had on the good list, let me in. Uh, both the original and remake are fantastic. The remake has uh, Chloe. Uh, fuck, I forget her name. Sorry. <laughs> But uh, she's a great actress. I've seen her in a lot of different shit. Uh, the Fly, 1986, amazing. Jeff Goldblum. House on Haunted Hill, 1999. I thought it was actually a far superior to the original. Some people will disagree, but uh, the cast is great. And just the uh, outright way it was done was just fabulous. Uh, and then, of course, the Italian job. I did get a chance to see the original not too long ago. Uh, the remake with Wahlberg and company and Edward Norton is just way better for me, 2003. Uh, the one uh, remaining three that I have for good remakes I'll talk about is King Kong 2005. Uh, I really like 1976 a lot because, uh, obviously, Jessica. Jessica <laughs> Lang. <laughs> yep. Uh, but the 2005 by Peter Jackson is quite amazing, actually, because... Again, CGI was starting to improve. I really, what I really liked, um, though, is they they really, they really, really just made Skull Island come to life. Right. You know, it wasn't just. And this is like, before Skull Island from Legendary, so. This but is, they they really made it like there's a giant T Rex and there's and like. Unlike '76, when you had the tribe, uh, you know, just being kind of who they are in the 2005 version, they were terrified. Fucking scary. Terrified. They were like, "I will eat your soul." Like, and we had more of the the other prehistoric creatures there. You know, between the giant insects, mm-hmm. the attack, the, the tyrant. Oh man, that one part I just had to like not look. I was right. like, uh. 
So, you know, I have Naomi Watts, uh, Jack Black, Adrian Brody, Andy Serkis, Colin Hanks, all in there uh, for this film. Uh, just very well done. Probably as much as I like 76 and seeing it back then, uh, 2005 is probably the best adaptation of King Kong. I feel like just because you think it's a good remake, it doesn't mean that the original, the sucks. original sucks. Right. Exactly. All right, so what is the remaining on your good list well, that most, you're not going to talk about in depth? Um, well, you and I both, we love The Birdcage, yeah. and we didn't even realize it was a remake, so right there, that shows that it stands on their own. Cape Fear, again, didn't realize it was a remake, love that movie. De Niro is uh, amazing. The, the just, the terror and the, the suspense Fun with Dick and Jane. I knew this. I didn't was... know that was a remake. So Jane Fonda's in the original one. Oh wow! So fun with Dick and Jane, but we. I always have said this is such an underrated movie. Nobody like appreciates it the way it should be appreciated because this shit really happens to people. And then you have these this couple who is just trying to deal with life, and it's it's funny. The Jungle Book. All of the remakes are good, and there's so many different versions of. The last one we saw, I think, with was, the the CGI and the live mixed was, together, yeah, it was, was beautiful. Well um, I I've seen one that was done, I think, in the seventies, and it wasn't like a Disney version. It was just, um, you know, actors, and that was amazing too. But you got to think, the Jungle Book is a very old story, so every time it's done, everyone that I even like the you know the Disney version with the cartoons is good. Um, Believe it or not, Vanilla Sky. Is yeah, a I was remake. surprised when I saw that on the list. I didn't realize that was a remake either. It was a Spanish movie, which is translates to "Open Your Eyes," which is what the, you hear a lot in the movie. And uh, again, something we didn't realize was a remake. That is such a good movie; it stands on its own. So I have three left that I really love. So what's the first one on that one? It's called You've Got Mail. Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks. I I watch it over and over again. Like it just it's it's just a sweet little love story and the reason I like it so much is it takes you back to the late 90s. Um when AOL was king and people just, you know, emailing was still kind of like a newer friendlier way of being a pen pal and it they the two of them meet in a chat room back when chat rooms were, were a thing and they start well. yeah so they started being like pen pals and they just they develop an appreciation for each other but because they want to keep it you know surface level they don't tell each other their names they don't tell each other like what they do for a living they just they talk about simple things like he talks about his dog, and he talks about how he likes to make fun of people at Starbucks because it, it, just funny stuff, and they really start appreciating each other, but then they thought they were going to meet, and he sees who it is, because she has a, a, car, a flower, a carnation, and he's like, oh my god, and in real life, those two hate each other. Right, there was a reason why Because he's he's a um, big time bookstore owner, which is like think Barnes and Noble and she owns a little tiny shop called the shop around the corner and it's a children's bookstore that her mother owned and um 
eventually he actually drives her out of business and he is sorry and he realizes who she is and he really like in their real life tries to develop a friendship too this is not a direct remake but there is a movie I'm sure it's old like black and white movie called the shop around the corner and instead of email it's pen pals oh. and they write each other back and forth and it's a similar type backstory but i didn't realize how much of like because you can see and this is how you know you have a good story you can take something with a good story and modernize it and still have a good movie and that's the difference like instead of just because like something like you got mail like that wasn't designed to say oh we're gonna sell millions of tickets with this they just said okay we got a classic story. We're going to modernize it. And they the I mean, they work well together. You They've done act, so many actors. They did Sleepless in Seattle together. Right. So, so you just bring them back together. Right. So you just make it better and with a good script and everything. So, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's funny. I watch it all the time. And I always, they're at the end when they say, yes, we're definitely going to meet. And he still keeps up the guys. And we're going to meet. And he comes and he brings his dog. And... She's, she starts crying, and she says, I really wanted it to be you. Oh, look, I'm getting choked up now thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back into the bad remake. Okay. So, the one of the remaining three I have there is Man of Steel 2013. I think Samurai probably just threw a brick at me or something, but... Uh, I, I don't even know if I saw it. Yes, I did. You, I'm pretty sure, yeah. What they did with this was... Yes, because Amy Adams, like, she kept going up on the roof and smoking and... and... Well, that was Green Lantern, I think, <laughs> you're thinking of. No, no, no. And and he... Um, oh, that's right. Cavill would fly up. And he'd fly up there because, like, she wrote that article because Superman was gone for a while. And she wrote that article, like, why we don't need Superman anymore and... Yeah, well, they, you know, they did this weird because I didn't expect them now. I was excited when I had read about it because they were bringing in General Zod, which Superman 2 with Christopher Reeves is my favorite all-time Superman film. And it's just so well done. So, And I like Michael Shannon. We had been watching some show with him at the time where he was really a crazy cop or something. I can't, maybe it was a Boardwalk Empire. I don't remember. But the point is, is that the movie itself kind of fell flat to me. And it doesn't matter if you have Costner or Diane Lane or Russell Crowe in it. It just wasn't very good for me. Uh, I've, I've said this about Snyder and, like, his his shit going on right now with uh, Justice League and all that is that the characters themselves, like, Cavill, I love his... Uh, the Witcher is great. Um, I don't necessarily like him as Superman. He looks the part which is fine because he does look like Superman. Just something about the demeanor, the way he portrays the character doesn't work I think for, for because, you know, we, we grew up watching Christopher Reeve and Christopher Reeve really put that dual personality to, oh, yeah. he was like nerdy Clark Kent and he'd do the like, you it know, perfect. and then he would be Superman and he's got that little curl going and like, yep, I'm Superman. And I think that's the other thing. Like, I don't know everything gets Amy Adams, but Margaret Kidder as Lois Lane was perfect. Mm -hmm. Like she just was very funny and uh, just was, had a way of coexisting with Reeves and it, you just don't, I mean, I know that Man of Steel wasn't really meant to be a more, like wasn't meant to be kind of like a comedy of sorts, but it just didn't work for me, and like it just becomes. It's a no dog. A no dog. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry dog. dog. It's a no for me. 
So, all right, what's your... I, I grouped them all together. I, I, I mostly... I'm out of my baddies. Oh, okay. I, I took... I think but for, you had one. I thought. Oh, Suspiria. Yeah, I'm was, so sorry. I didn't. That's my last one that's that I one didn't. I wanted to get that's into. one you wanted to talk about. I'm sorry. I I grouped a lot of musicals that were remade into movies because I think just by seeing a lot of uh, live theater and then you th that just went right to my head with what what was bad. Um, but for me, Suspiria, the new, was not bad per se. It just got uninteresting. Yeah, when you had that on your list, I said to myself, "Okay." And I, I'm, I, I'm with you. I, I love the original far too much to really say yes. The Suspiria remake is great, but we, I think we both kind of came out of it as like the remake has some interesting ideas, especially with the dance. Well, the, the first it was at first it was. Um, they made it into a modern dance company, which is fine. You know, modern dance is relevant but i i you know how i am with ba ballet i i love watching the ballet dancing and the one thing i did like about the remake of suspiria was what you were touching on the um how they were turning the dance more into a ritual and and a spell in the second one that was a good idea not a bad idea a good idea but what started happening how long is the uh is Suspiria the second one it just felt it's, longer. it's, it's really long almost, almost three hours, hours yeah. yeah and I feel like it just wouldn't end it was if I was getting the Lord of the Rings vibe where it just wouldn't end and they just kept adding shit and adding shit and then I got I lost interest like they they needed some editing I I think they had some good ideas they had this like witches tribunal like good ideas just poorly executed and well that's what i found so fascinating with the remake was that the director had spent so much time building up this different world mm -hmm. and i mean tilden swinton was fa fabulous in this uh was it dakota fanning was the star too uh so he spent all this time building this was cool i'm pretty sure it was uh I think. Uh, but anyway, uh, he spent all his time building up this world through the dance and the witchcraft and how it interplayed, with, intersected with each other. And then at the ending, he like fucking went all Dario Argento for no Dakota reason Johnson. Johnson, sorry. But he went all Dario at the end. I'm like, it wasn't even needed. Like, I guess he was trying to stay somewhat faithful to the original material, but it's like you had kind of avoided that for like two hours. <laughs> And then all of a sudden you wanted to throw in this, like, massacre at the end. I'm like, it was pointless to me in that regard because even though it wouldn't have overtaken my love for the original, I felt that the ending itself was what kind of ruined his take because he just kind of said, fuck it, and threw this shit in there. And I'm like, it wasn't even needed. Exactly. You, you it was had your own vision. Extra. You had your own vision of what was working. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, I'm actually just going to do this. So I think that's why, like, I don't love it or hate it. I just, it's just there. I'll but, never watch it again. Right. That's the thing. That's kind of how I feel about, um... I've seen it twice. I watched it once myself and then once with you, and that's fine for me. Like, I, I can appreciate it for that particular level. I mean, that's, that's kind of how I feel, I guess, like, when you were talking about Superman. Like, I, I think I watched it one time with you, and 
just no interest. There's just no, it, and it's not saying to me, like, I know there's other people who are probably like, wow, the new Suspiria is way more suspenseful and scary than the the original, but maybe, and you know, it's kind of like with me with the dance, because I danced for so many years, I just watched it, and even the dancing was just not as good, and I don't know. It just kind of fell, it, it fell flat. So that's that's just where I am. Thank you. In order to speed up time a little bit here, I am. No, no, no. We we got plenty of time. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so the next one on my bad list was Conan the Barbarian, two thousand eleven. And you would think with the cast that again. Who's in the cast? Jason Momoa. Yeah, yeah. Rachel Nichols, Rose McGowan, Ron Perlman, Stephen Lang. I mean, those are some big heavy hitter names. Yeah, I hear you. And so, the first five minutes of this film is fabulous because Ron is playing Conan's father, uh, Ron Perlman, and mm -hmm. it's his character. And the kid is young; he's going out there doing this like test with these young male barbarians, but they're like five and ten years old. So it sets you up. You're like, this is going to be a great right. Movie. So they're out there doing this test, sort of like for them to see their manhood or whatever, and young. Conan like survives and like it's amazing what he does because you didn't expect it at all and and then after that it just fell apart because they turned Conan to this comic uh, comedian type barbarian where it's like what what the fuck happened here we went from really awesome to like really shit <laughs> it's like he was trying to be um, Dane Cook right and it was just it made no sense and like it would have been hard for the movie to defeat Schwarzenegger's version, obviously, but, like, you wait all these years for them to do an update, and that's the best they can come up with. Like, and he started out strong. Like, I don't get it. I just, I didn't see it. I don't understand it. The directors and the, the movie company didn't understand it either, apparently. They just think that they can throw some of this shit out there. And Momoa's not a bad character. He's done some really good roles and movies since then and it's like what were they fucking thinking he would be he's perfect for conan right like, you know i just you know it wasn't that his look was bad but i'm just like what happened you can only work with so much right all right so what's on your bad remakes or you're all out of i'm all out of bads all right go let's go good so this one's gonna ring ha <laughs> true for both of us it's the ring and I, this is the God's honest truth. I've watched it one time and it is burned into my <laughs> memory. When I say burned into my memory, I can remember almost the entire movie and it scared me so much. I haven't watched it again. Maybe I need to revisit it because if that happened to me with Poltergeist and then Poltergeist kind of turned into our little joke where they're like, they moved the headstones, but they didn't move the bodies. <laughs> like, I'm hoping that one day I can rewatch The Ring without, like, having like, terror. And Flashbacks. <laughs> it, you and I were just dating, and we were in the basement of my parents' house, because that's, like, the coolest, most wonderful place in the house. But it's pitch black it's as hell. dark. No windows. We have this giant television at the foot of the bed. And we were at a pull-out bed, and 
You know, it's like, it's kind of like low to the ground, so like, and it's, you can fit someone underneath it, so we're just kind of like... And we're like maybe, <laughs> maybe 12 inches from the television. And I'm like 30, and you're like 20-something, and it's like, oh man. Like, and we're, and we're adults at this point, and we're like, hey, let's go upstairs into my room. It's like this little silence between us, we're like... You want to go upstairs? Yeah, uh-huh. let's go upstairs. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that is why I understand it was uh, was a Korean film or Japanese film. I think it's really Japanese. Yeah. And I know it's a remake, but they they remade the shit out of it. Like, if some people don't like it, but uh, I mean, I do like the original. That's you know, unlike Dark Water, where I thought the original was better than the remake. Uh, with the ring, Ringu and Ring, it both were well made. And like, dude, I just remember like that opening scene with the chick in the closet. I'm like, oh, this is kind of, I'm in for a treat tonight. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. then, of course, the moment that, uh, what is it, Samsara is her name? Mm-hmm. She comes crawling out of the TV mm-hmm. in the one scene. I'm like, oh my God. And then when um, the mother figures out like she's buried in that well. And they find the well on the property, and she's like, "Oh, we've we've given her a proper burial, and blah blah blah." And the little boy's like, "Why did?" And his nose starts bleeding. He's like, "Why did you do that?" She never sleeps. I'm like, "Fuck." Yep, it, it, it's a trip. Look, I'm just getting goosebumps I right. <laughs> I told you that night when, like a couple weeks ago, I was close. I think I finished watching Joe Bob, and the next movie was The Ring. It was actually Ring Goo, the original. And I'm like, you know, it's 3 a.m. It's not, not a good idea. I'm not doing this to myself tonight. Well, you have to think when we when we watched uh, The Ring, this is back before, like, the flat screen everything. And so we had the big boxy television we were watching it on. And every time she would climb out of the television, it was one of those big boxy yeah. televisions. And I'm like, I'm going to die tonight. Like, tonight, I watched the tape. I did not make a copy of the tape. I have seven days. I need to make a copy of the tape or I'm going to die. Like, it, it's it's still, it just stops my heart. Yeah, it's a great, great film. Uh, the next one on my good list is Beauty and the Beast 2017. Uh, stars Emma Watson, Luke Evans, Josh Gad, and Ewan McGregor. Uh, I vaguely remember the, the Disney comic one uh i did see it but it's been many years uh obviously i knew when they were making the live action that emma would be pretty much perfect for the role as uh beauty in this uh you know aside from you know i'm not really big on the musical part of it so much i mean it's not that the musicals really bother me because you kind of made me grow on that a little bit when we met uh with different films like that but uh it was well enough made that I thought it was a pretty good adaptation of the of the original story so it, it actually I've seen Beauty and the Beast done live on Broadway and I've seen the Disney version and what they did with this the live action is they kind of combined the live action um the the theater version and the Disney version because in the in the theater version um there's extra songs and the one thing that people were complaining about was, um, you know, the songs were different than on the on the Disney cartoon version, and and that's true because they changed the songs for the the theatrical version, and I feel like again with watching something in a theater, 
you have a different experience. And what they did with this Beauty and the Beast um, with Emma Watson was they did not treat this like they're just taking a stage show and shooting it and boom, here we go. They expanded on... So, for for example, at the beginning, um, the, the bonjour song, bonjour, bonjour, there goes the baker. So that whole part... Um, where in the in the cartoon you see Belle run out to her um like to the field and and do all of that well they did that in um the Emma Watson version but you can't do that on stage right so they treated it like yes this is a movie but they also brought in some of the musical elements from the Broadway version and I appreciated that a lot yeah uh you know as far as like you know there were some complaints because of again this is in the midst of a, a woke culture so to speak there were some things with the you know gay and lesbian aspects of certain characters uh well it wasn't even it's that's not the woke culture it's the people going well children are watching this they shouldn't right, be but, they shouldn't but be but watching at the same gay. time in defense of the film it wasn't something that was like hammered home either like you saw it but you're like okay it's not a big deal and that's and that's why I could appreciate it was that it's still they kept like the it was inventive because they had uh Bell like being sort of an inventor, which is one thing that Watson talked about off camera about how it used to be her character father uh was supposed to be the inventor, but he was just a clockmaker, so they made her the inventor where she made the washing machine with the donkey and the barrel. And she was a big reader, so we knew. And she was in in like all iterations of Beauty and the Beast. Is she is a big reader, and Beauty and the Beast is an, it, it's just like the song tale as old as time. Like it's a very old. And it, and it was very funny with the cast. Like they had good moments where it was funny, and the CGI was great. I mean, Luke Luke Evans as Gaston was the perfect casting. I mean, I. He's one of those guys and actors that early on when I was seeing him in films like i wasn't really a big fan of his and then i'll have to show you something i don't think you ever saw it it's called a movie called no one lives and he plays a serial killer and that kind of changed my whole perception on him even when i saw him in the hobbit movies like i was like Neh. but in this as gaston he's fabulous like it's he plays the role well he's funny and i've kind of grown a new appreciation for his acting through this and uh, the movie itself is very strong. I mean, you can argue without some of the other live actions that's come out since then that maybe they're not as strong, but this one is great, man, from head to toe. And uh, I don't really mind any of the, if you want to call the it. The nuances. Flip. Right, that it uh, has we, in Trust it. us, we haven't... We, it, people were complaining because everybody needs to complain about something. <laughs> right. I, I just, I completely believe that. And yes, it is a children's book, but you know what? Have you ever read the yeah, original, but it wasn't... original uh, Cinderella? You know what the stepsisters... Fairy tales. Yeah, the I mean... stepsisters cut off their toes so they would fit in the, the glass slipper. But yeah. they, they take that out of the Disney version. There's nothing really in this film that would a, a child would pick up on. Like, y even if you had two men dancing in women's clothes, they, just, they would find it funny. It's only when parents go and, and make it an issue that the kids start to pick up on this stuff and I've learned that over my years growing up that 
racism or sexism isn't something that you're born with it's learned it's, and that's so true and we've seen it and, firsthand right so like in this movie if i'm five to ten years old and i'm watching this I, I, I see what's happening on screen, but I don't see it as, oh, two guys actually like each other. I just see it as two guys and women's clothes dancing together, and I find that funny. Now, growing up, I start to learn, oh, okay, well, that's really what that means. But it isn't something that I have to hear a parent say, well, you see that? See that, son? That's no good. That's bad. I don't need to have that. And that's what happens is the film doesn't, they're not kissing, they're not doing anything crazy. Uh, it's just there, and you, as an adult, you see it, but you're not like if you can understand. But it. that's just like in real life. Yeah, it's there, and I. That's why they incorporated it into the movie as they did. It's not meant to be like we're going to convert your child and make them gay. You know, run away, run away. It's that's not what they meant to do. They just wanted to show like this is people are who are they going to be? Yeah, people are people are people. Yeah. So for me. Um, I'm out of bad movies because so I told you I grouped, I grouped all of mine together. My very last good one is is one that you know all too well, and that is Sweet November. Yeah, I didn't know it was a remake. <laughs> I didn't know it was a remake either. It was also done in the 70s, and I never saw it. And apparently the story behind the original was somebody wrote, you know, the play. And the studio got wind that they were going to start making it into a live play and bought the script and then told the writer, you need to adapt this into a movie. Very similar story, a little bit different ending where this woman who you find out is, ter is terminally ill and she's trying to live out the rest of her life the best way. And she adapts her every month. She has a new guy, and it's yeah, Charlize, Charlize Theron, Theron and, and Keanu, Keanu Reeves. Reeves yeah. And Keanu Reeves was November. Keanu Reeves, high stress job, uh, you know, always on a schedule, phone ringing all the time, kind, just very high strung, wound tightly. He meets her. And she says, you're my November. And changes his, his outlook on life. And, you know, they he really wanted to just be with her when he finds out that she's terminal. But she's kind of been estranged from her family. And she, just, she made amends with her family and told him she's going to go back home with her family. Um, but he's just desperate to be with her for her last days and she said I you know I want you to remember these 30 days that we've had and remember me and remember all the happy times don't remember me I don't want you to see me sick and see me die I don't want that to be your last memory of me and the very end part where um, they go out to the park where where they initially met and she blindfolds him and then walks away and then he never sees her again you know it, it's kind of heart-wrenching you know i thought it was heart-wrenching yeah. i'm like sobbing yeah because when you have that kind of connection and he realized how much he fell for her and she really fell for him because what she was doing is 
she would find people who were like Keanu. She she found people who needed to try to, make to chill the fuck out. Appreciate life mm-hmm. and that uh but she wasn't like kind of like really opening herself up. She was helping them but not letting herself really get attached, but he was the different story mm-hmm. and all that. So And that's why she was like I want you to have the good memory of me these 30 days. I don't want you... It's a far depressing movie. I don't recommend it at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's well acted, don't get me wrong, but it is... You you won't leave without being, like, just depressed. You're gonna be like, fuck. Right. Alright, well, in my last remake, bad remake, um, I actually wrote a little review on this when I saw it at the time. Uh... It's probably universally hated, but people give different reasons for it. And I'm going to kind of explain a little bit on my end. Uh, it's Ghostbusters 2016. As I studied at the time, has absolutely zero to do with the actresses involved. Some people want Because they're more. amazing actresses. That's the problem. And actors. Yeah. Now, this the, the problem that I had was, and what I explained then was the script, like... You know, originally the movie was supposed to be the original actors from the original two movies before that. It was supposed to be Bill Murray and company and Dan Aykroyd. And because they couldn't get together collectively to agree to do the movie. And Harold Remus died. Like well, that was... Was that after 2016? Well, no, but it was shortly before they hadn't got the movie, before everyone decided they could do mm-hmm. it. So before they could even agree to do it, Ramos died um so then at that point the the big execs decided they were going to rechange it to just all females now that's not the problem the problem that I argued on behalf of the women and the actresses was that it was kind of a slap in the face to them one you didn't make a very good script but two the girls became an afterthought like if you had just come out from the get-go and said you know what the guys did their films we're going to go ahead and go with these women as and we're just going to reboot it if you had just said from the start, we're going with these ladies to do this, I think that that would have been a bigger... Do you think they were trying to take it, like, with what they originally thought they were going to have the men do, but then try to squeeze the women in? Probably, and the other issue that I had was, ironically, with Hensworth, his character, because as much as I like him as an actor, what they did with him, and some people have argued, well... That what they did with Janine uh, in the original two movies with the secretary or whatever she was, uh, they they said well she was just kind of like there like she was just used or whatever. I'm like no that's not the case. She was a very quick witted woman who worked for these guys and I thought she was fabulous. I can't remember the actress's name but she was great. Hello Ghostbusters. With, yeah. with Hemsworth, they dumbed him the fuck down to make him, like, the dumbest fucking person on the planet besides being eye candy. I didn't care that they wanted to use him as eye candy. What I cared about was that they thought that that somehow compared to the character, character of Janine in the original, which was never close to either one of them. And, again, CGI, not very good. Um, I, re- I felt really bad for... McKinnon and Wig and McCarthy and Jones because yeah you they, know I love Melissa McCarthy and they Kristen all Wig. put their effort great effort into making that film they were just handed a shit sandwich and the film just came out terrible but you know then we had the talks about sexism or racism because of Jones and the women and I'm like that probably was there 
but most of the people I talked to about the film disliked it for the same reasons I did. It's just it really felt like a, a they just kicked the feet from under these women uh, and gave them a shit sandwich to try to work with, and they did the best they could with it. And you have to think, and I'm I'm going to put this out there as a woman, um, from women handle things a lot differently than men, and I learned this especially with dealing with my mom being sick. Women sort of are organizers. They want to they they will make a plan, they will handle things. Guys are reactors. And you saw that in the first Ghostbusters where they're just reacting, reacting. There's a few things where you saw them kind of like thinking ahead, but I think if you would have had these women because they're supposed to be like paranormal researchers and all, if you would have had a little bit more scientific feeling backing with them have you see these really intelligent funny women going together collaborating and then finally boom we have proof and now we're going to be ghostbusters that would have been way more respectful than just having them doing like looking like um I don't want to say clowns, but that's what it was. It was like they were treating them like they were the Three Stooges doing a bunch of like, right. slapstick comedy. Because I know they had the more recent Ghostbusters coming out soon, and that is dealing totally different than what we had here. But, like, they just, you know, these are comedian chicks that are funny on their own. They've seen them in various films, and they're all very funny. And very different roles too like they have different but you couldn't even really come up with a good storyline for them and that's what made it so unbearable is that I'm watching these women try to make the film and they just don't have the script to support it and like it's not to say that the first two Ghostbuster movies were like great scripts necessarily but they were just structured better than what they got in this one and I, I just, yeah, it's just, you know, fortunately, it, it still comes off as one of the worst remakes ever, but it really isn't the fault of the women involved. It was just the, the people that brought it to us that sucked ass. <laughs> and that, and that, that's just so unfortunate because, again, you can tell that this script was written just because they're like, oh, we have a bunch of funny women together. Let's make them do funny girl screams and funny girl things and funny. You can't take bridesmaids and then turn it into... Ghostbusters, and exactly. that's what they did. Bridesmaids is very original and fucking hilarious. Kristen Wiig is in it, and Melissa McCarthy is in it. Yeah, it's original, hilarious. But in that movie, you actually love the girls and you love their relationships that they they build in the movie. They he Paul Feig, I think he's the same guy who did Bridesmaids. He just wanted to be like, I'm taking these funny girls and we're gonna make it Bridesmaids. But we're fighting ghosts. <laughs> right. Let's take the same jokes from Bridesmaids and make it Ghostbusters. And you could tell that's what they did. All right. Well, getting into my last good remake. Um, a film I didn't even see the original. It came out in 1957. But uh, because of the actors involved, I was, like, intrigued by it. Uh, one, of course. Because my you boyfriend, have a Christian boyfriend, Bale. Christian. Mm -hmm. He's your man. Uh, Russell Crowe, who I'm big on. Uh, 310 to Yuma, which I'm talking about from 2007. I can't believe it's been that long already. But uh, also has Peter Fonda and Ben Foster in there. And Ben Foster actually appeared in Warcraft, uh, which was kind of cool. The acting in this is fucking amazing. Um, basically, Russell Crowe is like this outlaw running around with Ben Foster, who's like his right-hand man. 
and uh, they're being they're robbing trains and carts, uh, you know, horse wagons and whatnot. Uh, and then Russell gets caught, and in order to bring him to Yuma to be taken to uh, another city, or maybe that's three, no, Yuma's where they're going, so 310. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're hiring, the sheriff's hiring extra men to help escort Crow's character, because <laughs> Crow's like a great gunfighter. So. so that's where they got the idea for Con Air. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, so they got they need men to escort him, and of course Christian Bale's like this farmer guy who his son is actually a young Logan Lerman, Lernan, or Logan anyway, uh, who is recruited to help escort Crow's character there, and uh, obviously Foster's with the rest of the crew uh, with uh, Crow's crew who's trying to go and rescue him. So they get to. The place where they're waiting for the train, and you know, Foster and company have surrounded the place they're at, and even some of the deputies that were hired to, you know, escort uh, Crow decide to abandon him. <laughs> oh wow! They don't want no part in getting shot or killed, and uh, I'm not going to give a lot away in this because the ending is what really makes this film. If you ever saw the movie. The Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood. It's got like that kind of vibe about it. Or there yeah. will be blood. Yeah, or, yeah. It, or oh, what was the one? Um, oh, crap. Is it another one of the? Um, I, I know what you're. Probably you know talking. what I'm talking about. It's like the, Daniel Day Lewis. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it has that kind of ending where the ending just blows you away, and you're like, "Wow, that was cool as fuck." Uh, I'm not giving anything away now. you got to see it. But I think one thing that is always, like, with Westerns, it's it's hard to, when you think about Westerns, like, you think 100% Clint Eastwood. You think of all, like, the old Westerns. And to make a good Western movie, it's hard in this modern age. And, and now what we're finding, when you can take a good story like this... You are just like I can't even remember the movie, so who knows if I if I watched the whole thing or not. But I understand what you're saying because you've got great actors with a great script and a great um, atmosphere around them, and that's really what you want. Yeah, you know, a movie I didn't bring up, but Gone in sixty seconds is also a remake, mm-hmm. and I didn't know at the time that I saw it in the theaters, but. I saw clips of the original, and I'm like, it's just not the same feeling. Now, if I'd been old enough to see that, maybe I would feel differently. But Nicolas Cage and company doing the remake was fantastic. Like, it's a fun fucking movie. So, that's the thing. Like, with 310 Yuma, it's like, it is a Western. And I'm not sure how much it differs from the original, because I have not seen the original. But you have great acting, a great script, and it's structured nicely. And then it has a great payoff. That's what you want out of a film. So I enjoyed this talk a lot because we really dived into a lot of great stuff. So next week I challenge you, um, let's pick five movies that have never been remade. They could be old, they that could be new. Be no, maybe not even, sh- that can't be remade. Okay. You know what I mean? Well, like I one, one on the list already. I've so. got one on the list too. I it, just bought a magazine about it. <laughs> <laughs> even if you think, okay, it's an older movie, there's better shit out there that can can but that's gonna be tough 
I've got one at the top of my head. I actually just watched it not too actually, long not ago. Not too tough. I have another one that, um, and I'm hoping the the other ones that I'm thinking of are not remakes or have been remade. It, it so, and we'll even I'll even throw a caveat. If it's a remake, but it's like maybe a French film, and then the Americans remade it. That you can kind of be like, okay, that's a remake, but it's not necessarily like you're taking Psycho and doing Psycho. If it's something where you get an idea, I mean, one of them I have is already off the list. Suspiria was never supposed to be remade, but, but it was. We yeah. have to think of stuff where it's like you definitely know it has not been a remake. Or... I know one that's going to be on the list that's been talked about being remade. I'm hoping it never happens, but yeah, I know what you're saying. So it's it's an original story. And you don't ever want it to be remade. And you, you're like, this is such a classic. I can't even talk. It's such a classic. She's slurring. And I'm slurring because I got my Invisalign in. It, um, it's, it's such a classic that you, if you took it and you tried to remake it, it would just turn into the female Ghostbusters. Yeah, that, that's a good thing to talk about next week. Um, back into our music, because I know we dragged on oh, a little I bit, know, but, but everybody... this has been a good episode. We, we, we still have one more topic, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 because I, it's, it's, it's your pick of the week. Here's Godhead Machinery, Vulture.
This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? They suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. You can't find someone running around the city, hiding any place he chooses. I can't understand that. Now, what I can't understand is how can you let him get away when you knew where he was? You drive around town, you see someone you don't know, you shoot them. How hard is that, huh? Never seen him before. Look, he has a gun. It must be him. Now, <laughs> how oh, oh, hard is that? Huh? It's that easy. Look, who are those guys? I've never seen them either. How hard is that? Huh? Bang! Think you can handle that? Or I got to do everything myself? I'll handle it. You bet your head! <laughs> Alright, a scene from My Pick of the Week, Desperado, starring Antonio Banderas and Sama Hayek. So, why don't you give them the, the lowdown, the summary, and I'm gonna give you what I was talking to you about, and we'll uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, so you know, sort of uh, keeping it in tune with our remakes and whatnot. Uh, Desperado is not a direct remake, but it is kind of like a soft reboot remake because of El Mariachi. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, it was, was talking about last night. I don't ha- I don't know if I have his name in here or not. Um, I'll see if I can find it. Uh, but one of the guys that plays one of Antonio Bandera's friends. So he, he Don't did, you have any friends? <laughs> so he has a couple of guys that he knows um, that he calls in. Aquino, and I'm trying to remember the other guy's name. He, the other guy that he comes in is actually one of the... The guy that played originally the El Mariachi guy from the first film. So Robert Rodriguez rebooted his film when he got a little bit more money uh great cast in this in fact this is kind of where rodriguez teamed up with quentin tarantino who would work with him later on with some films um also danny trejo in here as well uh steve buscemi cheech marin again this is like familiar crew that you might see from dust till dawn uh carlos gomez um, I think Domino is the other guy that is actually the one that played in the original film. Consuelo Gomez. Uh, 
Christos plays himself. <laughs> it's a fighter in this. Uh, Welcome D. Almeida. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but he's the guy who plays Bucho. And I've seen him in some other shows and movies later on after this uh, movie here. I know, Campa. Carlos Gallardo. That's the guy who plays originally uh, in the El Mariachi, the first movie. And, uh, yeah, so Banderas is playing uh, Mariachi, who sort of playing out the first film. He's actually taking over the character uh, that Campo plays in this one, but he uh, plays uh, Mariachi, who ends up pissing off some drug lord that works for Bucho. Uh, the drug lord kills his, at time, girlfriend, and then shoots him in the hand, which basically makes uh, Banderas not want to play guitar anymore, so now he's on the hunt. He's already killed uh, the guy that shot him in the hand and killed his girlfriend, but now he wants to go and find the direct man responsible. So he's going from town to town in Mexico, and he's basically tearing up bars, killing anyone who... You know, because every time he tries to bring up, I'm looking for Bucho, they try to kill him, and he just ends up killing them all. So he's got this guitar case full of guns, and he sort of built himself a, as a legend within, or a myth within this, this, this country. So Steve Buscemi plays his best friend, who basically at the beginning of the movie goes into uh, this one particular bar, and he starts chatting up Cheech Marin, who plays a bartender, and of course there's a bunch of other guys in the bar. And he starts telling a story how this huge Mexican is going around looking for Bucho. And he's killing people. And, of course, this gets the attention of Marin and them because they work for Bucho. And by the end of the scene, he's like, okay, got to go. You know, he had his beer and told his little story and laid it on thick. What did he? What did they say? The beer is warm and tastes like piss. piss yeah. And he's like, that's great because that's my favorite type of beer. <laughs> yeah. Bissimi adds like a lot of great comedy to this. Uh, you know, he's he's got a, a, a knack for it, and uh, you know, he's, he's just such a great storyteller, and that's what sort of hooks Marin and company. Um, obviously, at some point, uh, Banderas gets in the bar, and a shootout breaks out. Of course, there's a Tarantino's in there as a pickup guy, and there's all this going on. Uh, then after he's done in the bar. Uh, one of the guys from the bar, who's Tito La Riva, uh, Tavo, and you'll again you'll see him from Dust Till Dawn. He's uh, managed a way to sneak out the back, and he's following Banderas down this th this road here, which is you know you got a lot of public people there, but no one cares because he's got two guns, so they're used to seeing this kind of shit. So Tavo is chasing Banderas, and at the same time, Selma Harris' character Carolina is coming the other direction towards him. And she's just got done creating a, a two cars to crash because they're busy looking at her and not paying attention to the road. So <laughs> well, I mean... She's gorgeous, obviously. And uh, as she's walking towards Banderas, Banderas is looking at her and it's like this eye-to-eye thing. Now all of a sudden, she sees Tavo behind him with the gun. Banderas gets the, the idea of what's going on, pushes her out of the way, gets shot in the arm, and kills Tavo with his guns. And then, uh, at this point, Hayek's character, Carolina, is basically patching Banderas up. And then that's where the story just kind of kicks off where Banderas is looking for Bucho. And we find out that Bucho is the big drug lord in the area who runs the show. He's paying off uh, 
uh, people in this town to put up fronts for his drug ring. Uh, Carolina, despite taking money from Bucho, doesn't want to use it for... She doesn't put any drugs to her, her little library there that she works at a bookstore. But she'll take the money because she wants to use that to kind of get out of there and go do something better with her life at some point. So she knows Bucho very well. But she's really, like, she's not working for, for him. him. Yeah. It's more like he's giving her... <laughs> It's hush she, money kind right of. Uh, maybe he's like a bribe money. right right yeah it's just like i'll take care of you you just keep your mouth shut and let mm-hmm. things go as normal uh trejo's character he's playing an assassin sent by a guy who is above bucho who knows that this guitar case carrying guy is going around killing people and killing his guys and whatnot destroying his drug business so Unknown to Bucho, Trejo's there. He's a knife-wielding guy, throw, throwing knives and whatnot. So we were kind of laughing because Trejo's always got this menacing look on his face when he plays these bad guys. But Yeah, he's never looked... Like, I've never seen Dr- Danny Trejo happy. Like, I'd love to see him in a comedy or something, but like... Well, he's doing funny bits. But he doesn't He doesn't crack a smile. He does. I, it just doesn't fit his face. I mean, but, you know, he has certain roles, like Machete. You machete. Know? Yeah. That opening scene in Machete is fucked up, but great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, obviously, at some point, you know, there's more shootouts, and Bucho comes to realize that Carolina has, or Carolina has been, you know, harboring uh, Banderas' character, the mariachi, just called him El Mariachi, so that she's been hiding him. So Bucho figures it out, sends his guys to try to kill them both, doesn't succeed. And eventually, as I said, Quino and Campa show up to help pretty much rid uh, Banderas with, for, with the rest of the henchmen that are out there trying to hunt him down. Uh, there is a final scene where there, he, Banderas confronts. Uh, Bucho, which, this is a spoiler, but Bucho's his brother, and they didn't know that either one was chasing each other down. <laughs> uh, you are my brother. But Bucho is, like, again, trying to hold face, save face, and he's like, look, if you let me kill Carolina in front of you, it's over. And, of course, we know that Banderas isn't going to let that happen, but... So that's when he calls his friends. Well, that, that was after the fact. Oh. Yeah, this is at the end there. But, uh... The film is really great. Uh, I've seen El Mariachi, the original one that uh, Rodriguez made, and it was all right. Uh, For a guy that did it on $15,000, actually pretty well done. Uh, This one, he had a bigger budget to work with, you can tell. And at the time, though, uh, a lot of them were still, like, not well-known names. I mean, Cheech Marin had done all his uh, comedies in the 80s, so we knew him. We knew Bissini. A little bit. Uh, Tarantino was still green on the year. He just done Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, so we knew him. Uh, but yeah, it, at this time, this was still kind of fresh. I remember going to the theaters and watching this and just loving the shit out of it. I remember seeing the trailer and saying, I'm going to fucking see this. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while, so watching it the other day was great. And uh, it kind of like made me laugh because... Every time I hear Antonio Banderas talk now, all I think of is 
Puss in Boots. Right, right. <laughs> and what's kind of funny is in the movie Puss in Boots, Selma Hayek is also Kitty Softballs, yeah. who is his, his, his love interest. And then I started, like, analyzing this movie versus... Put, this is this is like how my brain works. This is what I do when I'm trying to sleep and I won't sleep and I start like So anyway, I start reading like I was reading up on um Puss in Boots and I'm like the similarities between Desperado and Puss in Boots are insane. You know, you have Puss in Boots who he himself is an outlaw because he left his hometown when he was a child because they he helped a friend rob a bank and then you know he he is in in uh there's Jack and Jill in Puss in Boots and they they hold the magic beans aka drugs and he meets Kitty Softpaws who has the softest paws right and I, like I'm just watching it and I'm the whole time you heard me like the whole time I'm like it's it's Puss in Boots and kitty softballs like everything they would do because there's all these like chase scenes and stuff in puss in boots and there is in in um in desperado and i'm like it's literally the same movie but it's g-rated for children and i i just it, i could it just made me laugh because it's puss in boots he is he learns about the outlaw couple jack and jill who have the magic beans and Puss in Boots has been looking for that most of his life. So when he when he finally meets up with Jack and Jill, it's like the whole it's not a shootout because there's no guns. It's a kids movie, so they're like you know fencing or whatever, and nobody dies because it's a kids movie. But it just cracked me up. And then remember, remember when um, Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek. You know, they make love for the first time in Desperado. I was like, look, Kitty, so Kitty Softballs and Puss in Boots are knocking some boots. And yeah. you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, that was funny. And I just sat there, like, listened to a quick interview on a radio show today. It was done a while ago, but apparently Hayek <laughs> didn't know that she was supposed to have a love scene in this film. And uh, they had to do it, like, close set just to make her feel comfortable. But, uh,. Oh, okay. She said that Banderas was total gentleman and everything, and but she was really nervous about doing it. She didn't really want to do it, but uh, I mean, I I would be nervous about having a love scene with Antonio Banderas because he is like strikingly <laughs> well, she was handsome. Like, well, she said, and she's strikingly beautiful, so I don't understand why. Well, she was like, you know, I would always have a towel on, and because I was self conscious and. But she's like, Antonio was just so brash. He was like... <laughs> He's like letting it swing low, right. sweet chariot, kind of. So they did make a sequel to this uh, sometime later. Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which I also own, uh, has Ben Darris, Hayek again, William Defoe, Johnny Depp, Mickey Rourke, Eva Mendez, Danny Trejo, uh, Ruben Blades, who was in Predator 2. We did a little review of that Need movie. some candy? Yeah. Uh... So it had a lot, again, a lot of familiar faces. Uh, they were playing different characters than the ones from the first movie, except for Elmerich. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's a really fun movie, action movie. Uh, it kind of set the tone for what Rodriguez would do later on with all the other films he's worked on. Uh, just a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy it a lot. 
I do too. And I, it's one of those things where like, I know I saw the movie cause I recognize it and, but it's been so long and I haven't seen it as many times as you. So like just watching it, I was like, Oh, this is great. And that part where they had like the secret back area and it was like the shit blew up in the toilet <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, what's his face? Quentin Tarantino was like, sneaking by and before that when he quentin tarantino comes in he's telling that really bad joke joke, and they they, he like hands his card to cheech and the other guy's card to cheech and then he shoots quentin tarantino's like partner and then he's like he didn't check out you You checked out out. i'm like this is fucking awesome like it's just super dry like straightforward but that's funny. Like, it, it wasn't... I don't think it was meant to be, like, hysterical, but the way that he's like, bang, he didn't check out. You checked out. Well, that was that was the other thing, because, like, T, uh, Tavo, Tavo and Cheech Marin's character, because Tavo was, like, helped help running the bar with Marin. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're sitting there going over the books, and the girls walk up, and they're, like, pissed off because their waiter disappeared. <laughs> And so, like, Tito was, like, he moved the book where the gun was. And, <laughs> and, and, and Marin's like, like, like... He just kind of, like, shook his head, Marin's like, like yeah, yeah, we don't even get, like, here right now with this. Dude. They're like, here, I think this should cover it. And it's, like, $3. Yeah. Our beer was warm, and the waiter Oh, left. my God, tell me he's not still in the bathroom. And then, they, of course, Cheech and Tom are just making jokes at him about yeah, it. Yeah, they're talking in Spanish to each other. And when she's <laughs> like, tell me he's not still in the bathroom. And Cheech just looks back, and he's like shrugs mm. <laughs> yeah so it, it's it's got a lot of good funny moments in it and good action and just well made hey listen if you like an action movie and you like just a straight action movie it's, and it's not dated it's still very relevant like it's a really good film like you don't feel like it's something that, it's not like you know you're not watching like uh some bad action movie from the 80s that didn't age well this one actually ages pretty well oh and the kid the little kid who just looked up to him with the guitar he's like mister why don't you play your guitar show me your guitar the guitar i okay i am <laughs> we heard about a guy who has a oh when he first got in the bar we like... heard about a guy with a guitar case filled with guns and i guess he has like a, a trick thing that makes it flip up so yeah because it's just the top of a guitar in the case but underneath it's all these guns and stuff and when he first walks in cheech and company they've already got guns on him like uh we just heard stories so we want to check to make sure you're not him and so one henchman's like looking at the case and all he sees is the top of the guitar and he's like yep it's a guitar and then all of a sudden the lid opens up slowly and he's like it's him and He's like, My dad's like, look, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, it's me, me, but I'm just looking. <laughs> he's like, I'm, I don't have any problem with you. Right, so he's trying to talk his way out of it just to get to Bucho, but obviously they're going to kill him, try to kill him anyway. And then he does the thing that I love where you have, what is it called? Oh, the guns. The guns the that are in the sleeve, and he yeah. goes, whoosh, yep. pop, 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 I'm such a child. I love it. And then there's like the little things we see, like the, the crotch gun that we saw in From Dust of yes! with with, uh, with uh, Tom Savino. Accelerator. Yep. And he's like, oh, this. Sex yeah, machine. It saved me many times. Yeah. You can have it if you want. She's like, no, nah, I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs>
If you've never seen Desperado and you literally like gun slingers and you like gun movies and you like action. Oh yeah, we were laughing because of Quino and Campo. When they show up, they've got their guitar cases, but both of them are totally different than what Banderas has. So Campo's got two of them where he uses the machine guns are just shooting right out of them. He doesn't have to pull them out of the cases. It's just shooting bullets out of his case. And then uh, Quino, he's got his, which has a fucking rocket launcher. (laughs) And he like flips it over his shoulder. So when they both first start doing their shit, Banderas is looking over and like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) And I I, I asked this of our listeners because I, I don't know this answer. And we see it often in in gangster movies. We see it in this movie. Where where did it happen that like guitar cases and violin cases and and stringed instrument you know cello cases, that's where you hid your guitar. Like, you, or excuse me, your, your guns. guns. Right. Like, how did that become a thing? Is it just that you know people would be a little bit um, not they would think it wasn't because you're a musician or is it now it's so like synonymous with a gun that if I'm carrying a guitar case down the street, somebody would probably think I have a gun in there. So where, where it's an interesting did, topic. Might have to research that a bit, get, get a ransom. I'm going to have to look into that. I'm going to Google that right now. But Noobs is getting hungry because he hasn't eaten dinner yet. So we're going to start crashing through the rest of our music here. I know. This is a long one, guys. I'm sorry. We just Hopefully look... you enjoy it all. That's all we care about. Yeah, and, and give us give us a rating or give us a comment or listen. Fast forward if you hate what I'm saying. I don't care. <laughs> uh, in our next block, uh, brand new stuff from Fracture, Necronomicon, some classic stuff from Hellwitch, and then we're going to get into some more classic stuff with Warfare. And stuff from Xenocorp uh, with uh, Vrice and then Steel Burning Hand at the end. So here's Fracture and we'll be back to close this motherfucker out. Oh shit. Hidden gun guitar case.
fills this one up. DJ Nico. And DJ Nubis. Many thanks for all you that stay tuned in and download our stuff and support us. Thanks for hanging out tonight. Yeah. Big, big uh, thank you all for you support that you give us. Many thanks to the labels and promotional sites that we work with. Uh, a lot of great music they're sending to us. And of course, all the new stuff that we've been playing. Uh, just coming across the desk here. And a lot of fun stuff to be listening to. And you guys have to realize, like, this is a labor of love for DJ Anubis. And we all are given the same 24 hours in a day. And he works, I work, but he actually sits in in between working and helping like we've been doing a lot of work on the house and and just random shit and in between all of that he sits down it's like yesterday he had what did you have to do yeah you, you had some errands to run yeah i got a haircut uh you know just random shit i mean like even on the days that i work i try to squeeze in an album or two before i go to work and that's only like an hour maybe two hours you know i got to work with so and even today, like, uh, we went and we, we went to the post office and you were still listening to more music. It's like, we were, he really tries to listen to everything that, but there's just not enough, there's not enough hours in the day to listen to all the new music. Yeah. I mean, usually I have four days to work with this week. It was more like three because I worked four days for prime week. So, you know, it's just one of those things. But as she uh, pointed out, we love doing this and we love sitting here and talking about things and entertaining you all so hopefully you all enjoy it and with that we're gonna close it out bid you farewell brand new stuff from steel bearing hand this is called lich gate and we will see you next time Hi.